Hey everyone, just wanted to give a quick disclaimer before we start this episode that the guest uh, had some audio difficulties. Uh, the first 40 minutes are pretty rough on his end, uh, and it does get better after that, so just want to give a heads up on my end before we begin the episode, but hopefully you guys have a great time with the new Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1, and hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the next episode of Ranked. We are here once again to make some arbitrary list and ranking for a franchise that is just releasing. And of course, to celebrate the brand new film coming out in IMAX for only one week, unfortunately, we have the Mission Impossible franchise with our boy Tom Cruise. And who better to help break down this entire franchise with me? Exactly one year ago, he made me watch Mission Impossible Fallout, and now we're here to watch and discuss the rest of them. We have Isaac. How are you doing today? I'm doing, doing great. great. Uh, thanks, thanks for having, having me on. Of course, of course. We got the Tom Cruise aficionado himself, uh, Isaac, here to talk about these films. Before we get into these seven movies, I kind of just want to talk about your history with the Mission Impossible franchise. I obviously have a history of watching Fallout first for our podcast together last year, and then I watched them all in the last three weeks. So I don't have much of a history, but what about you when it comes to this franchise? I don't really remember exactly how I got into Mission Impossible, and I definitely remember watching them um, as a kid. It was funny, I borrowed the Blu-ray uh, to watch the first couple because they, they weren't available on the streaming services that I have. And when the menus came up, I remember actually one of the menus. Um, I think it was just Impossible 3. It was like this sudden strike of nostalgia because uh, to start the movie, it says launch mission, which is so 2006, and I love it. But I remember that. And so I definitely watched a couple of them like, growing up as a kid on TV. Um, I never saw any of them in the theaters until Fallout. I feel like you're kind of my go-to when it comes to Tom Cruise, uh, mostly because I don't really know anyone else that really likes him. So, so you know, you're my guy when it comes to him. Is the Mission Impossible franchise kind of your go-to when it comes to Tom Cruise? Is this kind of where you uh, fell in love with him? Or was it, I guess Top Gun Maverick obviously is a favorite of both of ours, but is there other films from him that you associate with him? Or is it our boy Ethan Hunt? We have, we have to, like, make, make the disclaimer, disclaimer right? right? We're, We're talking, talking about Tom Cruise as a performer and not Tom Cruise as a person. I think everyone has a consensus that Tom Cruise as a person a little questionable. <laughs> yeah. Um, when, when I say I, say I like, like Tom Cruise, we'll say, you know, separate the art from the art. Top Gun Maverick was so straightforward and to the point and had all the incredible action in it. For Top Gun Maverick, Mission Impossible was always like, here's all the great action, but you need this really convoluted mystery to get you from point to point. And Top Gun Maverick was like, no, we don't need any of that. Let's just have, like, you know, three characters that we really care about and just go from piece to piece, and it was perfect. And so it's kind of changed my perspective. Um, but I do love Mission Impossible. It's definitely not a character piece. I can't imagine this franchise being transitioned to anything else. Oh, yeah, no, it definitely relies on Ethan Hunt, you know, considering he's really the only character, uh, except for maybe 
one or two other characters that is consistent in the whole franchise. You know, he's the face of every movie, right? <laughs> like, you can't really sell this with someone else. It'd be kind of like having Indiana Jones without Indiana Jones. Like, his name's not in the title, per se, Mission Impossible, but, yeah, you can't really imagine someone else doing an impossible mission. They can't transition to other people. Uh, they keep adding more and more characters. Like, you know, Dead Reckoning Part 1, we have basically like 30 people running around at this point like, there's a lot of people but like we we can't give someone else the the crown here to, to hold the franchise up uh yeah i, I think it, it dies with him there was at one point an idea to transition the franchise um over to jeremy renner i did hear that We'll get to Jeremy Renner. Uh, I, I think that's a good call. <laughs> I'm not a big Jeremy Renner fan. <laughs> I, I think Mission Impossible would not be very good if Jeremy Renner was the lead. But, uh, you know, uh, what do I know? Uh, you know, he could be good, I guess. So before we jump into the worst film, according to us, is there anything else you wanted to say? Uh, you know, what's new with you, Isaac? Uh, anything besides uh, binging the Mission Impossible franchise? I'm watching a lot of action films right now. Um, the halfway through Fast X, it's Mission Impossible, bad. And I just actually watched Top Gun Maverick, and so um, you know, my my letterbox is going to look very strange because a couple months ago I was watching, you know, The Mood for Love and Before Sunset, and now it's going to be eight. Or seven, seven Mission Impossible movies, Top Gun Maverick, and Fast X, all in a row. <laughs> yeah. In the middle of the blockbuster season, you know, uh, doing action films, that, that's what's to be expected. Fast X, incredible movie. Uh, I'm dropping a Fast and Furious ranking in a few days after this one drops. And I'm just like the only defender of Fast X, so, you know, a little sneak peek, because I thought that movie was kind of fucking hilarious, but, uh, you know. <laughs> I, will I will say, after the absolute, like, Speaking of uh, pretty good, we can talk about a film that's pretty good. Uh, the lowest film on the Mission Impossible ranking, according to us, uh, we both have it in the exact same placement in last place, according to both of us, which puts it last on this list. And I think it's the one that's like definitively, you know, not as great as the rest of the franchise. I think everybody can kind of agree with us here that it's Mission Impossible 2. This is not surprising, surprising to me at all. Yeah, I didn't even need to get your list. I already put it in last this morning when I was setting everything up. I was like, yeah, I already know. Isaac's putting this last too. <laughs> We're all in agreement here. <laughs> Definitely, Definitely like the Reddit has touched on. It's, uh, you, you have, have, to, have to admire for how different it was. Like, like, it really, really looked at the first film and said, nah, we, we don't, don't need, need to do, do any of that again. Like, like every, every movie is its own thing, has its own style, new directors. I don't, I don't enjoy this movie. movie. It, it makes, makes me laugh. It, there's some really, like, absurd things in this movie that if you, you watch, watch it almost, looking at it almost like satire, it just, just oozes 2000s, it oozes, like, Hong Kong cinema, a huge fan of Jackie Chan. It feels like Ethan Hunt. Uh, Yeah, honestly, uh, it's such a contrast from the first Mission Impossible film, but like, I think Mission Impossible 3 all the way to now is taking more of a page from Mission Impossible 2 than it is from the first movie. I I feel like a lot of the stuff from this movie 
is reflected in every other film after it of the franchise. Like it made a huge drastic change that changed the trajectory of this whole franchise, I feel like. You know, from like the one crazy stunt that they will promo in every single trailer for the movie leading up to its release with Mission Impossible 2 having the cliff scene at the very beginning of the movie to like the wacky shenanigans they have with the masks and the campy action and like the set pieces. Think Mission Impossible 2 walked so the rest of the franchise could run, you know? <laughs> like, I don't think this movie's good. It actually fails at a lot of what it's doing, but it's so different from the first movie, and so many other movies from this franchise build off of this one that it's, it's kind of cool. Like, it's kind of cool to see how they kind of build the ground up from this one movie. And I, I think it's pretty fun. I think uh, Tom Cruise is pretty good in it. I, I love the ending, right? When they... Spoilers, everybody, to a movie from the 2000s. And for every movie here, we'll be spoiling, except for Dead Reckoning Part 1, we'll have a non-spoiler and spoiler section just to fill everyone in. So if you don't want to get spoiled on a specific movie, uh, maybe skip ahead so you're not listening to it. Uh, but for Dead Reckoning, we'll have like a spoiler-free section. So you can listen to a bit of that one before you visit it since it just came out. But, uh, you know, the ending of Mission Impossible 2 was pretty, like, I got pretty fucking pumped when the guy shot the dude in the leg and I was like, holy shit, that guy can't like Tom Cruise can't walk anymore. Like I actually was like, holy fuck. Like what the fuck happens? Like I was actually blown away. And then like a split second later, I was like, Oh, wait a second. That's definitely not Tom Cruise because he's literally walking and running in the rest of this franchise. And no one could heal from that. That, that guy's fucked. Like his leg got shot out. Um, but I still remember like for half a second, like I like freaked out for a second. And then I instantly knew even before they revealed it, like I was like, Oh fuck. Yeah. Tom Cruise did it again. That's definitely his henchman. Like you know you fucking know but like shit like that works like there's some cool moments in this movie and i thought the last like 20 minutes was a was a ride like i i thought the, i thought it ended pretty fucking strong i was i was all in for it so it's good definitely, definitely ran, ran so that, that way, way the rest, rest of the franchise, franchise could walk, walk because, because it, was it was going, going too fast, fast. like <laughs> uh, it was a little over the top uh like, like you, you mentioned, mentioned the mass, mass staple every, every single movie Five mass reveals in Mission Impossible 2. There's one point when Tom Cruise and the guy who played Billy Dubray, uh, Smith, are both in masks, and it's like cutting between the two. You've got Tom like uh, interrogating Brendan Gleeson, a surprise. I, uh, just as many times before, I didn't know who he was. Now, you know, Banshee's in a share, and I'm like, hey, Brendan Gleeson! And he's, like, like talking to him in the hospital room. And then you have uh, uh, Sean is, like, in the mask talking to his girlfriend, pretending to be Ethan. So ridiculous. Was received really well in 2000. This was the number one movie of the year. Honestly, it doesn't surprise me that this was, uh, that this did gangbusters in 2000. You know, this is just what action films are going to be perceived as like 15 years from now right like people are gonna be watching fast x and mission impossible dead reckoning part one in like 2042 and they're gonna be like really that th this was like huge back in the day like this is what people really liked oh my god that man that aged poorly like like <laughs> that's just how action movies are right like they're so in their time um but well then again to counter Point, my own point here uh like the first mission impossible like aged way better right so you know it's definitely you know the style of time and place i guess it depends on the kind of movie but yeah this movie definitely hasn't aged the best but i didn't hate it like you know 
to be the worst film of the franchise and st- to still have like moments that I enjoyed. Uh, you know, it's 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 not the worst thing. But like I just thought like the middle half really dragged. Like I like the beginning was pretty good and then I really really liked the ending actually. I thought like the last 20 minutes was just a thrill ride, but like in between that like you know, it's kind of just like the generic, you know, schlog you would see from a Mission Impossible movie. There's like nothing not too spectacular, especially compared to the rest of the franchise. So it's okay. It's, it's, it's funny, funny because, because I, I actually, actually the, the last 20 minutes, minutes of this movie, movie I think, are so over the top in, 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 in the way that it's choreographed. You have, you have like, like uh, Ethan Hunt when, when he's, he's like, like running, doing this like invasion of that bunker that they're in for some reason. And he's, and he's like, like running, running and like kicking people and like doing bicycle kicks, and there's like elves flying everywhere. There's so much slow mo. <laughs> One of my favorite shots. They blow open the door into the bunker where the deal is going off. There's like fire all around the door, and it comes this one white like dove flying through the door as if like you know Ethan's coming in, like he's the Holy Ghost, like he's the Savior. We have to mention motorcycle jousting, right? Of course. Absolutely, Absolutely wild. wild. The, the, the fight on the beach as well, I felt, was like almost like a WWE fight. There's, There's one point where, oh gosh, I can't even remember who it is now, but the, the one, one guy, guy uh, is on his knees, and uh, he goes back, pulls the guy's head back, just to set up the kick to kick him in the face. It was like something straight out of a WWE ring in the early 2000s. It's hilarious. And if you watch it with that kind of, like, mindset going in that this is going to just be super silly and fun you'll have a good time with it the dove flying in through the door was i think my favorite shot of the whole movie <laughs> that, that was the exact moment where i just went fuck yeah you know i'm in this movie I, I was out on this movie but that's when i was in and then they like see tom cruise like running past the door like i was like fuck yeah yeah <laughs> this is cinema uh, like if the whole movie was like that shot uh this would be like top four like great that's what I wanted. I wanted more of that. For me, it was the, the very, very beginning of the movie. You have the, the rock climbing. Incredible. They put that shot in the trailer, in the teaser trailer, which is, I think, what, what brought audiences in. in. Um, sorry, sorry, that was only the first five minutes of the movie. You uh, August Wendell, but that's, that's great. great. I love how he's just, like, on vacation, and they, they can't, can't get a hold of him any other way, so they fly a helicopter up to him and just shoot a rocket at him. But the rocket doesn't explode. Instead, it has a pair of sunglasses in it. And then he, he like, like reads the message and throws the sunglasses at the camera, which explodes into the opening credits. Like, like, like that, that, inject that, that into my veins. That's incredible. The movie slows way down. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, the beginning's great, the ending's great. Yeah, they're, they're just if they just kept that pace the entire time, uh, this would have been really good because that's exactly what the Mission Impossible is. Like, that first 10 minutes is basically just a summary of this entire franchise. Like, Tom Cruise doing a stunt, thing explodes after five seconds of getting a message, credits, theme song, boom. Like, that's literally just the franchise in a, in a nutshell. So, moving on, we're going to be going to one of the newer ones here at number six. At number six, we have actually the newest movie, the one that is just coming out here. We have Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One, which is a mouthful. And we both have it at number six. So we are once again in agreement. Uh, this is not going to be the case for the rest of the podcast. These are the only two that we agree on. But uh, at least we're in agreement on this one. So number six here for Dead Reckoning. 
this, this is, is the, the end, end of our, our friendly, friendly conversation, conversation after this. this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we can bond over these two, and then we can start fighting. Jousting on the motorcycles, one could say. <laughs> uh, wow, well, I'm, I'm actually, actually really surprised. surprised. Uh, I, I will, will say, this is, this is the, the point, point where I actually start enjoying the movie. movie. Um, Mission Impossible 2 is the only one that I don't enjoy watching. I would never put it on unless I had to. Um, for a ranking like this, per se. Um, but from this point on, I actually kind of enjoy them. And I think that this is going to surprise a lot of people that we put this one so low because there are some genuinely really great moments in this film. There was uh, a couple things in it that I really didn't like, which is ultimately why I had to punish it for. I think, though, I have to like make that um, point clear that for me, there's six good movies in this franchise, and then one that's not so great, and this is the point where we start getting into like actually pretty well-made films for me. Yeah, I, I do like this movie. Um, I do think when I eventually rewatch this right before part two comes out, I do think I'll like it more than I do right now. I, I feel like I was a little let down. You know, my first Mission Impossible in theaters, I, I was pretty freaking pumped. One of my most anticipated films of the year. Like, maybe I had my expectations a little too high for a part one. Uh, <laughs> like, maybe that was on me, but uh, I think if you go in with normal expectations, just keep your expectations at like a normal standard. This is just as good as some of the others. I have it at six, but in my opinion, four, five, and six are kind of interchangeable. Uh, just at the time of putting this list in, I thought, yeah, I'm a little more bummed about this than the other two. But like, it's not a gap, like Isaac said. You know, Mission Possible 2 was an obvious number seven. This one was more in the air for me. It's just fine. Like, it's just a fun time. When you watch this movie, Action set piece is incredible. Uh, one thing I'll give credit for is I think everybody's like in their A game. Like I think uh, a lot of the actors and actresses are fucking killing it in this movie. Like there's some great performances. And I yeah, I don't say that with many Mission Impossible movies. You know, even when we get later in the list that I have higher movies on this list, I think some of the performances are uh, a little cheesy or like a little bland or bad. But like in this movie, everyone's on their A game. I just have it at six. It's like my least favorite story. Yeah, we'll get more into that in the spoiler section, but to keep it more broad. Yeah, I just think the story is kind of the most ridiculous or just the most, I don't know, silly compared to the rest of the franchise. And the rest of the franchise maybe is more corny at times, but in this film, it takes itself seriously, but like relies on like too many plot holes for me to really get sold on what's going on. Uh, and then also it just ends, right? Like, I, I, that's not much of a spoiler. It's called part one. Like, it ends, bam, over. Like, th like there's no, like, actual ending. Like, it's kind of just, like, in the middle of the movie, it just, like, cuts to black. And, like, the rest of the movie is coming out in two years' time. So sit back and wait. Like, like there's no actual ending to this film. It just ends, cuts to black. There's really no wrap-up of any one story arcs. They all kind of just cut Nobody is really fulfilled in their story arcs. Everyone's kind of just in the middle of this climax and then just cuts to black, uh, which, which always leaves me a little unsatisfied. Like, you know, I'm not watching a TV show. I, I like to watch movies for a reason. I want to see, like, these stories kind of get wrapped up and end in, like, this epic glory. And this film, you know, I'll give Mission 
Impossible 2 some credit here. Like, that has an epic ending. Uh, this movie kind of just, like, falls a little flat. Like, it's kind of like, all right, well, we'll see you guys soon. When you, when you look, look at, at like, Mission, Mission Impossible 5 and 6, they were very, very much interconnected, and you could have said that it was, like, a part 1, part 2 for that. They just didn't. And I think you could have done the same thing for this one. I think this movie kind of ends in a spot where not, not everyone's, everyone's filled in their arcs, but it also doesn't leave you, like, with any of the characters in peril at the moment. Uh, you know, it... Comparing it to something like Spy Across the Spider-Verse, when it ended, it was like a real cliffhanger. Like you were left there like, oh no, how the problem is like right there, how are we going to get out of it? Uh, you want to end the movie in a worse spot than when you started this movie? And it just felt like you went through everything and it's like, uh, the things that they were dealing with were resolved, but there's like nothing really like left hanging there. It's that sense of urgency to get into the next film, film. And which, which is, is kind of an interesting choice. choice. I didn't, I didn't mind ending so much. I think the bigger problem that, that stopped me from getting invested in the movie was that there were several characters in this film that they just did no setup for whatsoever. I don't know if they're planning to flush them out in part two, but um, two, uh, two of the, um, I guess, villains you know, you know their, their names? names? I, don't I don't even know, know if they, they said, said the, the one person's name at all in the movie. Um, played by, by uh, Tom Menti. I don't, I don't, I don't know, know what her name was. was. I don't I know that it was said. Like, there's, there's just no introduction to that character at all. Um, there's, there's also CIA agents and, and his, his partner, played by Shea Wiggum. And I love Shea Wiggum. I don't know why he was there. Like I don't know who he is, where he came from. Up until, until like, the end, end of the movie, movie I, didn't I didn't really know who exactly he was working for. There's a, a kind of like a, a quick flashback to Ethan Hunt's past that they do no elaboration on whatsoever. Like they just there's a bunch of characters and plots in this that they briefly mention and then just never bring up again. And I think it's because they were like, oh, we can we can bring this up in the second one, and that makes me wonder. Originally, this wasn't meant to be two parts, and then if they just arbitrarily cut a line down the middle of it, because it doesn't feel well planned out that way. I think there's huge potential when part two comes out to make this film better. I think after watching part two, similar to how Top Gun Maverick makes the original Top Gun so much more high stakes and so much better, I think that will happen with this film. But for right now, it's just kind of left there with this very meh, very mid. Um, it just doesn't feel like they really had a full movie there. Yeah, well, it's definitely different than Top Gun, because Top Gun's its own movie. Like, you know, you can watch the original Top Gun, and I agree, it's way better now that we saw... Not, not Now that we have Top Gun Maverick, it's a way better film the original, but, like, the first movie... You know, the story's wrapped up, every character has their own arc, you kind of understand every character in the movie, what their purpose is, and like you said in this film, there's a lot of characters that, like, they just show... And they're just there for a little bit. And I don't know if they're going to have much of a story in the second movie, uh, especially some of the characters. Uh, you know, I don't know how they're going to continue in the second movie uh, when we have no introduction to them really at all in this film. Like, I feel like there's so many people in this movie. Like I said, we got like an ensemble cast of almost 30 people. Like, it's a huge cast in this film. Uh, and everyone is doing really well. But with the script they have, they can only do so much. Like, some of these people are not well fleshed out. Uh, like you said, Palm Clementif. In this movie, 
like when she got introduced i was like is that vanessa kirby like does she just like look different in this movie like, like she just came barreling in like very early on and as if like she's like a mainstay of the franchise i thought oh my god like uh, who is this woman <laughs> like she just came barreling in like i have no right. fucking clue who she is uh yeah it's uh it's a lot of people and a lot of the characters don't really have much development uh there's a heel turn with those two guys that you mentioned near the end of the movie and I don't know why they made that heel turn. Like, I don't know. Like, there was not much of a progression with these two. Like, I don't know why they made that choice that they made. You know, it, it, some of these guys make questionable moves because maybe we're too busy looking at Tom Cruise and we're not looking at these other characters. But they're making more of an ensemble cast. But they're not really making the ensemble feel like they're a crew. It's more the Tom Cruise show, which we all came here to watch. You know, we, we all wanted to see Tom Cruise do Tom Cruise stuff. But it is at the expense of the other characters that they're still adding into this franchise. Like, Dead Reckoning Part 2 is probably going to have, like, five more people introduced for no reason, and it's still not going to make any sense. Like, I don't know. It's feel like they're trying it to juggle does, a lot of balls. They're kind of talking about it like this is Tom Cruise's, you know, finale to, this, to, to the franchise. It does feel like they're bringing a, a lot of people back into the film just to be there for the climax, not to give any spoilers, but there are some characters we haven't seen in a long time that we've got to start coming back in. In terms of performances, um, I, I do agree it's the Tom Cruise show, but I will say Haley Atwell is fantastic. Um, I think this, she probably has the best chemistry with Tom Cruise at any point in the entire uh, franchise. Like, she's really good. She plays off Tom Cruise really well. Vanessa Kirby is really great. Um, she gets a, a lot more um, room to act in this one as opposed to previous movie in Fallout where she was only in a couple scenes, so I love seeing her in it. It just feels unfinished. It, it feels like um, there wasn't enough room for all of these characters, which is crazy because this movie is two hours and 40 minutes, and I think I'd be more forgiving of it if it was you know, a, a quick two-hour movie, but it's not. This is a big, long movie, and it's it's crazy to me that they didn't have time to at least give us, you know, just an introduction to these characters who just show up and then sometimes stick around a long time. And we don't know who they are. That's a good point. I probably would be more forgiving at this being a part one if it was like a two hour movie. But yeah, this is almost three hours and it just cuts in the middle of the movie to black. I'm like, oh, wait a second. I, I spent almost three hours and like nothing's, you know, being wrapped up here. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the runtime. Uh, it is pretty noticeable, although it also flew by. Like, it didn't feel like two hours and 40 minutes. Like, it, it was a good pace. Like, you're still having a fun time the whole, you know, throughout the whole film. But, yeah, it is crazy that they had this much time. And, you know, they still have all these characters. I don't know the names of, like, half of them. Uh, you know, it's it's okay. Uh, part two will probably make this feel a lot stronger. I probably will enjoy this more on a rewatch. I agree with you that Haley Atwell was great. I think that her performance was incredible. And she should, like, put this on her resume in all future movies and be like, look at this. Look at this movie. I was fucking incredible, and I was the worst written character of all time. Like, it, like the, the decisions this character makes, she is such a horrible character. Like, like, I do not really like the character at all. But, oh my god, like... Every time she does something, I go, fuck this person. Like, this doesn't make any sense. Why would this person rationally do this? And then her performance is just so good that I forgive her. Like, I don't care that she's an absolute moron. Like, half the decisions that she decides to go with in this film. So, 
incredible performance by Haley. Like she should be flexing this on every interview for any movie ever now. Like I can carry a movie. Like, she could be like, I can carry a film. Like give me the fucking script. Like let's go. Like she really blew me out of the out of the park here. Like she was really really good. I, I agree with you with that. Uh, she was definitely one of the strongest like romantic interest for tom cruise of the franchise sidekick uh, whatever you want to call her uh, she was really really good some mixed feelings on how they played her character for sure yeah um yeah is there any, anything else you wanted to say spoiler free before we get to the spoiler section of the film i will say um that the the flagship stunt the, the motorcycle off the cliff that they showed in all the promotional trailers they were making like nine minute trailers showing this jump it was great not my favorite action scene of the movie which was uh, surprising to me so um i really i really like the action set pieces in this and if i was to go through and kind of list them off like when you actually sit back and think like oh yeah there was this scene and this scene and this scene there's a ton of stuff packed into this movie that I, that i really liked and i think that's why it's going to age well but right now underwhelming I gotta say the, the the mountain motorcycle scene was my favorite action sequence. That was so cool. Like, man, it just like paused and like it was kind of just like silent for a second. It was so good. Uh, my favorite one for this film. Uh, obviously, there's better ones outside of this film, but uh, for Dead Reckoning Part One, yeah, that was worth the hype. That felt pretty fucking cool. But yeah, we can jump into the spoiler section. So if you haven't seen this film yet and you don't want to get spoiled on Dead Reckoning Part One. I would recommend you skip maybe 10 minutes. Uh, who knows how long we'll really discuss this, but uh, skip ahead a little bit. Uh, we can then move on to the fifth film for you. But for everyone else that has seen it or doesn't care if they're spoiled, you know, it's part one. We're not spoiling part two. It's not that big of a deal. Isaac, uh, anything that you want to talk about spoiler-wise about uh, this brand new movie? We got to talk about the opening of this film. It starts on a submarine, which is really cool. Uh, you get kind of those like classic submarine movie type feels. You know, they're hunting another submarine, um, which is really cool. It also introduces us to the villain in this film, which is not really a villain. It's a um, an AI. Yeah, it's like ChatGPT, you know? I'm sentient. Yeah, I, I see that, <laughs> that people are referring to it as ChatGPT, which is really funny. I think that's cool. But shouldn't have they shouldn't have done it uh, it was a really cool cold open i enjoyed it while it happened but it it doesn't suit the rest of the movie well because two hours and 40 minutes our team running around saying you know we don't know where the ai is right and like every time they catch a character that they you know like they want to get something with them they're like wait no we can't we have to submit to their demands because we don't know where the ai is and we need to find it the whole movie i'm sitting there like I know where it is, and it, it's infuriating to see these characters run around in the blind. I wish that I didn't know where it was either. It would make everything so much more impactful and invest me in their search so much more than me just sitting there like, guys, it's in a submarine. The whole entire movie. I didn't even really consider that much of an issue, but that is a good point about how we know where it is, but the protagonists don't. But like, just as a whole just the ai whole thing as a whole is my issue with this whole movie because like you said they're running around the globe trying to chase the villain like they do in every movie however in this one you can't really chase ai you can't really chase cyberspace so they're running around and they're like attacking this one villain of the movie that's kind of like 
the physical embodiment. He's kind of like the sidekick, you know, like the Yago to the AI's Jafar, like, you know, like the little menacing villain that they chase along. And he's kind of just squawking around, just, you know, helping out his master, I guess. And like, it just doesn't feel the same when they're just chasing this dude and he's just some like sidekick to the villain. Like, there's no grand chase, there's no epic moment where Tom Cruise is like yelling at the villain and the villain's got his monologue. The villain doesn't speak. It is an AI. It is just in the space and can control everything. It is all-knowing. And when AI is all-knowing, the movie loses all stakes. Because the entire time, Tom Cruise is doing something badass, and you're like, fuck yeah, let's go Tom Cruise. And at the end of the scene, it's like, oh, whoop, you just got duped because the AI knew everything already. It already programmed and planned out the percentage of you making this decision and this decision and already knew what you were doing, so it planned ahead. And it's like, yeah, I guess that's cool that like the villain's this intelligent but then like tom cruise can't win like and i know part two will he'll find a way to win but in this movie every decision that's made is at the expense of plot armor because tom cruise can never catch up to the ai and the ai has no excuse to lose to tom cruise there's like five moments in this movie where i'm like if the AI knows that Tom Cruise is his biggest threat and it's mapped out the percentages of Tom Cruise beating him, why doesn't it just do this to kill Tom Cruise? Or why doesn't it just do this? Like, when Simon Pegg is in the car and they make the joke, oh, he's going to put the car on auto drive, why doesn't the AI drive him off the fucking cliff and blow him up instantly? Like, if this AI is all-knowing and, like, it even made a joke like, uh-oh, what if it kills him? Yeah, why didn't it? Or when Tom Cruise makes one decision and why doesn't the AI just jump in and finish him off? Like, there's so many moments where... If we're going to do this all-knowing storyline of this AI, Tom Cruise should have been dead like multiple times, but the AI just decided to let him live because it wants the chance of losing, I guess. Like, there's just, there's so many issues with this movie when you're watching it. And like, it's cool at times, but because of the expense of it's all-knowing and it knows everything, like the bad guy doesn't bring a gun when he's on the bridge with the two girls because he already knows that they're not going to be bringing guns either because the AI already informed him that they're going to be coming in with only swords so he can fight him with his fists like there's just so many issues with this movie where the bad guy is told by the ai that this is happening and to meet up here and to jump off the train at this point or to be at the bridge at this second because the ai programmed everything already why doesn't the ai just kill tom cruise like if it knows that this is his biggest threat like the whole film is just the ai is kind of just like dangling a carrot in front of tom cruise and he's like why don't you fucking come get this i know you can't catch up to me i'm the fucking best but like it, is the ai kind of just like a troll <laughs> like is he just intentionally like just being a dick and just dragging tom cruise around like i just don't understand if this entire movie has like this all-knowing being and every decision tom cruise makes in this movie the ai knew about it before he did how is tom cruise alive like i don't know uh, i'm just ranting here but like the movie just loses all momentum when he's not actually chasing anyone like he's chasing cyberspace like there's no grand villain he can't wear cyberspace mask he can't dress up as the villain which is the best part of mission impossible which i haven't even gotten into but like this is like a two hour and 40 minute movie and he only wears like one mask are you fucking kidding me i was trying to keep track i think there was three masks in in the in the movie total but yeah only i think only one for, for tom and then he was supposed to wear another one to get the classic, like, you know, the machine yep. melts. Um, and which is all just to set up the huge stunt to get onto the train. Gabriel, I think his name is in the movie, Isai Morales. I liked him. I, I liked his, like, Pedro Pascal vibe for him. They talk about him as being, like, this psychopath, which 
I wish we saw more of. I was actually like giggling to myself. I'm not to make myself sound like a psychopath, but I was kind of like <laughs> laughing when he hung the guy from the rope in the train just so the train would go choo choo whenever his body swung back and forth. Like I thought that was a good moment to see like that psychopath. Otherwise, you know, he's kind of just walking around this cool demeanor. Um, you don't get a, a ton of insight into his personality. Um, so I think there's potential there with him. But again, they, they really don't set it up very well. I don't know if you even caught this, but did you catch what the name of the AI is? Entity? No, I think it's actually Dead Reckoning. No, it's, no, it's not. I think it is. I think at the very beginning of the movie on the submarine, they like, you know, put in the, the core into the submarine and they say like engaging, you know, dead reckoning or something, but they never refer to it ever again. And so it, it goes on so long that I even started to question myself. I was like, did I even hear them say the title of the movie? I'm pretty sure that's what it is. But again, they just always refer to it as an entity, which I think is terrible. Give it a good name. Like, give it, you know, some personality. I thought it was going to talk to Ethan at the party. Like, I don't know why AIs, like, always have to create this, like, cool, like, iris color scheme for themselves. You know, this one likes the color blue, I guess. We know that about the AI's personality. They go into the party, and he's, like, displaying himself on all the walls, um, you know, very extra. I thought he was going to talk to the crew at that point. But he doesn't. Yeah, you're right. And I think they'll probably set up that big speech towards the end. The submarine, they show it, it's the, the final shot of the movie, they show it at the, at the bottom of the, the Arctic Ocean floor. Um, I know what you're thinking. Do not do a stunt in a submarine going to the bottom of the ocean. This is not going to turn out well. This is not the send-off that you watch the franchise. We just saw what happened with the, the Ocean Gate Titanic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, maybe that was actually Tom Cruise just practicing. You never know. <laughs> I hear he's probably going to go to space or something. Do you think that Tom Cruise is going to die on set? Like, is, is that how he's going to go? Oh, yeah. No, he's, yeah, he's going to die making a movie, 100%. There's no way. There's no way Tom Cruise is just going to, like, die from, like, cancer or old age. Get out of here. No way. He's, like, what, 60 years old now? He does so much running. I, this might be the most running in any of the, the, the franchise or any of his, like, career. Like, there's so much running in this film. And one of my favorites was the run along the top of the airport, which was really cool. But are they, like, insinuating that he got onto the plane that Atwell was on? Because they just cut away. And I was like, wait, what? Like, was he escaping the airport that way? Like, I thought he was running to catch the plane. And then they just never showed that. They probably were like, oh, this is already almost three hours. Let's just cut that. <laughs> Maybe they didn't think it was important. But yeah, I don't really quite, I don't quite know. <laughs> Haley Atwell, not the first Atwell in this franchise, because uh, Atwell was the name of the, the British intelligence director in Rogue Nation. Interesting. Isaac here just uh, dropping the little fun trivia facts. I like that. I, uh, I did not know that. I just watched Rogue Nation, too, and I, uh, I did not catch that. Names can be pretty forgettable in this franchise. Yeah, well, I'm horrible with names. I, I'm so bad with names. I literally only know Ethan Hunt. That, that's the only name I know from the franchise also know simon pegg's character's last name is done because they made a joke about that in this movie that's the only one and i didn't even know that until they showed it i was like oh that's his name okay <laughs> that's good to know <laughs> i had no idea yeah wasted opportunity there right so they have this bomb that's like i think they were setting it up to be like it's mining information out of benji 
payment to defuse the bomb. And so I thought like Benji was gonna like have to ask, you know, or give like his, you know, childhood crush's name or something, and then he's gonna afterwards go and check his bank accounts and be like, oh no, it guessed my security answer. My banks are empty, right? But no, it was just like I guess a distraction to keep him busy at the airport. I thought that was kind of a wasted opportunity. Yeah, I thought a lot of this movie was kind of a wasted opportunity. But I, I, I'm going to make the call now. I was confident that Simon Pegg was going to die in part one, but Simon Pegg's dying in part two. That's my that's my prediction. I thought I thought he's going to die at the I end mean, of part one. I thought that was going to be like, I thought the movie was going to end with like him dying, and then Tom Cruise does like a speech, like we're going to do this for done or whatever his name is. <laughs> I thought like <laughs> I thought it was gonna end with like a funeral. Yeah, I thought it was gonna be like a funeral for Benji. He does like a little speech, and they go, "It's not over." Place some bets on the roulette table. I, I'm I'm guaranteeing it. That guy's done. Nice. Uh, nothing in this franchise has really like you know made me like emotional. Uh, if they mess with Simon Pegg, um, we probably should set up like a safe word that if I'm like you know gushing over Simon Pegg too much, you just say pineapples and i'll be like ah sorry my bad i love simon Pegg so freaking much he is essentially um only like real comedy in this entire franchise and, and i would say Billy atwell has some good comedic timing in this film as well which is what makes her character likable he doesn't have as much to do in this film but um definitely my favorite character in the entire franchise interesting interesting okay well when we get later into this franchise then we uh we definitely will be debating because uh you know that's that's simon Pegg. i liked him in some movies and i really didn't like him in some others but uh in dead reckoning i i actually really liked him in this one you think he's like mostly in four movies prominently uh and two of them i really like him and two of them i don't this is one of them i thought he was really good in dead reckoning uh, maybe it's maybe I like him in the ones he's not in as much. I feel like when he's like in Dead Reckoning, he was in it the perfect amount to like throw in a joke or two every twenty minutes, get me chuckling. The, that's the perfect amount of peg, you know. Like give me a little chuckle here and there. This isn't a comedy. This isn't the MCU. I don't need a little poop joke every five minutes. Like let's take this a little seriously, all right? This is fucking James. Or sorry, this <laughs> this isn't James Bond. This is a fucking Mission Impossible, all right? So. Uh, you know, he's a little too much at times uh, in some of these movies, but I thought Dead Reckoning, I thought he was actually really good. I really liked him in this one. And like I said, my one praise I'll give this film is I thought everybody killed it. Like, and a lot of people had some really bad, like, you know, the script wasn't good for some of these people. A lot of them had to make some really dumb choices that I just had to go along with. But like every actor and actress sold it. Like everyone was on their A game in this movie. Nobody was just there to take the check and make some quick money. Like they were actually acting like i thought it was a really good performance from everybody all around it's funny you mentioned mcu there are some times in this film where i thought i think this is the most comedy focused film of the franchise um particularly the car chase in rome yeah um, which i thought was good but there was so many moments in that played up for laughs that i was like "Ooh, this almost feels mcu-ish I don't know. I, I've heard some people saying like, "Oh, this is the funniest of the franchise." I don't know. Like, I think it's trying to be the funniest. Yes. Um, but I don't know if it actually is. It's not the funniest for me, but it's definitely the one that's trying. And thank you for bringing up the car because I totally forgot about it. I hated that scene. Like, I, I don't know if you could tell. Like, <laughs> the entire audience was laughing. I, I was like right beside you, and I just glared at it. Like, I, 
I envied that scene. It was so bad. Like, it was brutal. Oh, Ethan Hunt knows how to fly a helicopter, can learn a helicopter in the air, yeah. but oh no, not a Fiat. Yeah, exactly. He's like, oh man, I've never driven a Fiat before. Like, oh my god, like, that's a really, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that you could do literally anything, but when it comes to a small vehicle, oh my god, you know, that's his kryptonite. I guess we found it. Yeah, fuck. That wasn't my thing. That was painful. Honestly, and this is why I think I'll like it more on a rewatch. I think on a rewatch, it wouldn't be as bad, but just sitting there in the theater and everybody is laughing their fucking ass off, and I'm just sitting there going, this is the dumbest thing I've seen in my life. I will say that Chase, a little cringy at times, but it looks great. Um, I was just watching Fast X, and they have the bomb rolling through Rome. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure they go. I'm pretty sure they use the same staircase. Like I don't know if it's like an iconic staircase in in the city of Rome. Roll the bomb down the staircase, and in this one they drive the car. So in both they actually drive down. And in Fast X, it looks terrible. Like it's so clearly just a CGI car going down. And if it's a famous mon like monument, I'm sure in this film it was also. But it looks great. Like I felt like you get the vibrations of the cameras are going down the steps. You got cameras inside the cars with them, um, within like the in the back seats. It felt awesome. Like I love the way it was shot. There was just you had like them like handcuffed to each other. It was so goofy. Um, like they're doing like a, like a Buster Keaton skit or something. Yeah, very goofy. And and I don't know if that was the best mix for it. That's a good point. I do have a lot of issues with this movie, story-wise, but I thought it looked great. Like, there are some gorgeous shots. Uh, I can't really recall now at the moment. Some of the cinematography was fantastic. Like, it's a good-looking movie. Like, you know, if you like the franchise, see this in theaters. Even if it's not, like, the best story-wise, it's such a visual experience. I, I, I had a great time. It's still a fun movie. It is at six, but I think me and you are still on the same page that... Uh, this is by no means bad. Like, I did like it. So I agree with you on that. It's funny that you brought up Fast X because you haven't finished it, right? No, uh, I got an hour left. <laughs> well, I was going to say, uh, if if uh, you were a bit higher on the ending of this movie than I was on it, just cutting to black. But um, just wait till you see uh, the ending of Fast X. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Like, oh my God. <laughs> uh, it messaged me when you see it. Uh, possibly craziest ending to a movie ever i couldn't believe they did it uh insane so it is weird that movies are doing this now they, they they just end before the movie actually ends so you know uh at least this one has part one at the end we kind of know going in uh this isn't an entire film this is like a year of part ones eh uh i guess dune has part two coming out um which i feel like we did this 10 years ago right when you have hunger games and harry potter twilight and so is this just like a, every 10 years we go on a, a part one, part two craze? Maybe it takes eight years to forget how bad part one. Yeah, I thought that phase was over 10 years ago. I guess it's not. I have never been a fan of part one and part two defying a film. Like if you want to do segments, do like a limited series television show or something. This, this isn't the time and place for you to half-ass part one just to make the second part really good. But, you know. What are you going to do, right? Like, I'm still going to watch them. I'm still going to bitch about it, but it's fine. You know, the world moves on. It's not a big deal. It's still a good time when you're watching it. Did you like the uh, the train crash collision set piece at the very end? I really liked the train stuff um, until 
like the real big action sequence that I think everyone really liked, where like each piece would fall off and then they'd go to the next piece and now it'd fall off. It just kind of dragged for a really long time. Like when they did the first two pieces, I went, oh yeah, this is pretty fucking cool. And then when they got to like the third piece, I was like, oh really? Like this is, this train's still slowly dropping pieces. And then they went to, they had like five or six pieces of the fucking train fall. I was like, holy fucking shit, when's this thing ending? Like, I loved everything. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And yeah. I think it's because because they killed off Rebecca Ferguson, which that's by far my, my least favorite thing in this film. Um, and I could go on that for a while. But in regards to the train, like didn't know like there was there was one point where I actually thought um Haley Atwell was gonna let go to like to save Ethan Hunt from falling. Like I, I thought she could actually die. And so I was, I was actually kind of white knuckling it a little bit there, and I loved it because it, it was kind of drawn out. It, it kind of left you hanging. It just kept moving at a really good pace, and that was my only issue with the the big stunt off the off the cliff was that it was over so fast. It was it was like the halo jump from Fallout, but a third as long because he was you know not twenty thousand feet in the air. It was done so quickly. And I hated how they ended it with him crashing through the train, taking out the guy who's about to shoot one of our heroes. Like, that was so cartoonish. It was, it was like, clearly like Looney Tunes level, smash through the window at the last moment and knock out the bad guy before he shoots um, one of the heroes. Like, that was a bit much for me. I think if he had crashed through, like, even behind them in the car and just distracted them for a moment, it'd be a lot better. But actually taking the guy out, is just such a wild I don't know. I kind of liked that. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> the, the, the second guy behind him, he clotheslines him because the parachute got tangled on something outside of the train. That's comedy gold. Are you kidding me? I love it when people get, <laughs> when people get clotheslined. Uh, you know, I'm a simple man, all right? I make fun of the MCU and this franchise with the stupid car stunt. But, like, if you're going to clothesline someone, I'm, I'm fucking sold. Uh, you know, that's all I need in a movie. It's funny because we're both kind of low on this movie. I think lower than the average person. You look at what its rating is right now. It's kind of up there with the top movies of the franchise and how it's being scored. And if you were to take everything that I like and everything that you like about the film and put them together, we're probably the reason. That's probably what most people like about the film. There's a ton of stuff to like here. There's also a ton of stuff to uh, nitpick or to kind of be down on. So. I think it's. I think that's why there's the capability for it to age well. Um, I think in time, some of these flaws will get overlooked as it just get folded into the fun of the franchise. Um, and if they actually flush out the characters in part two, I'll actually you know care about them. Yeah, I'll watch this the night before I see part two, and I bet you I'm gonna love it. But that'll be the next time I watch it. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll wait two years. For now, second worst the franchise. Ooh, hot take. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it might be a hot take for people listening. Because um, I, yeah, I already have some friends that also checked out, and they were a fan. So, you know, uh, I am on an island of my own, but you're also on the island. So I guess, you know, <laughs> they, they, you know, they picked the two worst people to podcast about it because they picked the two people that are down on it. <laughs> we can move on to number five here. We're going to go back to one of the older films here. We are going to Mission Impossible Three, which you also have at five, so you are in agree and uh, you know you agree with the placement here. Uh, I am straying a little bit from the curve here. I have it at number three, so I'm a little higher on this one. Yeah, <laughs> I am so happy that you're high on this movie because 
despite what my ranking is, this was such a difficult choice. And from this point on, it's really tough to rank them. There's a couple that you could switch that are very interchangeable. But I love this movie. Yeah, I have this at three because uh, there's two movies that are just definitively better in every conceivable way for me. But this film is the style that I kind of wished every Mission Impossible movie had. Like, this is exactly kind of what I want. Like, campy, goofy, yet still badass with a fun story. Uh, I'm also just a huge sucker for uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, who's the villain of this movie. And he was so fucking good. Incredible. Yeah, like, maybe that's that's what I need. I just need a really good fucking villain. Uh, we have that uh, with some other villains in this franchise, but he works so well, especially for what this movie's going for. Like, Philip Seymour Hoffman acting like Tom Cruise when Tom Cruise is wearing the mask as Philip Seymour Hoffman. Like, some of those scenes just fucking killed me. Like, he was really fucking fun. Um, yeah, a really fun movie that is deeply flawed. Like, if you told me this was your... I was going to say least favorite, but no, if you said this was your least favorite, I would not believe you. But if you said this was your second least favorite after Mission Impossible 2, uh, I, like, I could see it. <laughs> like, it's got a lot of issues, but, uh, you know, I don't excuse Dead Reckoning's issues, but I excuse Mission Impossible 3's issues. I, I'm a biased man. What can I say? This movie's aged so well for me. By rating, it is second, like, lowest of the franchise, but... I think this movie's great. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman really brings it home. He never shows a single emotion the entire film. Um, he's just constantly, like, cool, calm, collected. Uh, you know, Ethan, like, opens the, the doors of the plane and, like, hangs and out is cutting the straps on the chair one by one, and he doesn't even flinch. And then when he finally pulls him out, Ving Rhames have been like yelling, like, Ethan, don't do it. And they pull Philip uh, out, and he just looks at Ethan and he goes, So your name's Ethan. Like, ah, oh, it's awesome. He's just this cold blooded killer who never flinches. You can't get under his skin. He's menacing. I think he's the best villain of the franchise, and he is the, the brightest shining star in this film. He's really good. Easily the best part. Yeah, like, he's the clear standout of the film. He's my favorite villain as well from the franchise. I just think he's so fucking cool. Like, when he's flying away in that helicopter uh, from the bridge sequence, and Tom Cruise is, like, trying to shoot at him, and he's just unflinching, just looking down at him as he's flying away. Like, fucking badass. Like, I fucking love him. Yeah, he's, he's awesome. I also love um, his delivery, because I guess it's Ethan, technically, with the mask on, but when um, after he gets uh, kidnapped from the Vatican, I love the whole Vatican sequence. Uh, Luther opens up like the manhole, is looking up into the bottom of the car, and you see Philip Seymour Hoffman there. They just look at each other like, "Hey, what's up? What's up with you? Nothing." Love it. It's great. It's delivered so well because um, you're in this high stakes situation. These guys are just you know shooting the crap. I love it. Um, he's incredible. Has okay death. He gets like mean girls, right? He gets run over by the by the truck. Eh, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I feel like he could have gone out a better way, um, considering how great he was. Yeah, I definitely a highlight. I do want to get your opinion on this because uh, you've seen this a few times, so maybe you enjoy it a lot more. Uh, my, my biggest issue with the movie is the opening sequence like what the absolute fuck is this like this is like the most tv movie decision ever like you never see this in a blockbuster but you do in this one where they show you like the climax in the first five minutes of the movie and they show it to you and then just cuts 
And so the entire movie, you're like, oh, well, I know he's going to get out of it. Oh, I know they're going to kidnap her. Oh, I know this is going to happen. Because I've literally seen the ending of the movie. And obviously, there's a twist after that scene that they show us in the first five minutes of the film that changes the context of it. But a lot of the, like, a lot of, like, the adrenaline and like this you know like the excitement that they would have building up to a lot of these scenes in the first two-thirds of the movie is kind of held on a leash right like like it, it can only get so exciting and so intense when you already secretly know they're holding back from us they've already showed us a bit of it like they kind of took away a lot of the excitement in the first two-thirds and it doesn't take away from the fact that philip seymour hoffman's incredible and obviously the whole sequence that me and you both love with him with Tom Cruise dressing up as Philip Seymour Hoffman with the mask and doing all these shenanigans, like, that still is exciting as fuck. And that's in the middle of the movie before we get to the return of that first scene. But fuck, I don't know. It, does it get better, Isaac, for you? Like, like, is that scene more exciting now on a rewatch? No. <laughs> no, no, it's not. I think, uh, so J.J. Abrams was a big TV guy. You see that in this. Because I don't know that he had ever really done much in feature films, really, at all. Every one of these movies, up until Christopher McQuarrie came in, have had really tumultuous, like, director decisions and, and whatnot. And essentially, the story with J.J. Abrams is that Tom Cruise needed a director, and he was binging, I think it was Alias, which is a TV show directed by J.J. Abrams, and was like, you know what? I want that guy. It's Tom Cruise, so that's what happened. And they ended actually up, J.J. Uh, Abrams had Lost coming up. So they had to delay this movie. And they lost a bunch of the original cast. Like, ScarJo was supposed to be in this film. I think Kenneth Branagh was supposed to be in it. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss was supposed to be in it. They all had, they had to replace all of them. Yeah, it, this feels like the opening of a TV episode. And it, I, I don't love it. And, and then they do that thing where they replay the whole scene, essentially, at the end of the movie, too. Which I always, I hate seeing the scene twice unless i'm seeing it from a different perspective so it gets a little tedious um, one of the weaker parts yeah it just took a lot away from the movie like when he's yelling get your hands off of her when like obviously after he shoots her in the first five minutes of the movie and then when we get to revisit it near the end of the movie he then goes to touch her after he shoots her so we don't get to see this part and it was like like that's fucking like, that's some of the best acting Tom Cruise has done. Like, that was so fucking good. He's, like, yelling at him because he's touching the body of the woman that he loves. Like, that was really fucking good. Like, did they feel like we needed to know that she was dying this whole time for that to have an impact? Like, is that what he was trying... Is that what J.J. Abrams was thinking? Like, I'm just trying to think of the director's choice for doing this. Because I just feel like everything would have been so much more dramatic and so much more exciting if we didn't have that shot at the beginning of the movie. If we didn't have that stupid scene. Like, I just don't understand why they did that. It took away a lot from the movie because we knew what was going to happen. That's my biggest issue, honestly. This could have been my second favorite. Like, like, I have this at three. I just don't like that scene at all. Like, I just think that, like, takes a lot away from the movie. And that's why I mean by it being flawed. A lot of the characters are kind of one-dimensional. Some of the action is okay. It is Mission Impossible 3. It's not some of these uh, newer entries. But as a whole, uh, that's really my only gripe. Uh, the rest of the film, I think, is just super campy super fun i wish philip seymour hoffman was like the villain in every movie because he was just a standout for sure uh, also i want to mention before we move on Lawrence fishburns in this movie and he was absolutely incredible and i loved him so much in this movie i was convinced he was just going to be like a mainstay for the rest of the franchise because he was just so perfect maybe it's because 
he's so perfect in this style of Mission Impossible with like the campy dialogue and like the goofy moments with all of these characters. Like he just fits so well in the style of this movie. But Lawrence Fishburne was incredible in this movie. Like he was one of my favorites and he was only in like two scenes. Like he absolutely stole the show in every scene he was in. Like he was way better then. Like, who would be, like, the replacement nowadays? Would it be Alec Baldwin? Like, is that kind of who he is yeah. now? Yeah. Like, what a downgrade. Like, no offense to... Actually, all the offense to Alec Baldwin, because screw that guy. But, like, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne, if he was in that position instead... Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? Like, it would have been so good. It would have been electric. Uh, yeah. Uh, I thought he was I really good. actually hated Lawrence Fishburne. No, 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 dude. <laughs> <laughs> he was so good. <laughs> It's it's so clear what they're doing. There there's a mole, right? And you got this classic like, oh, so someone's a hidden traitor, and they set up Lawrence Fishburne in contrast to the other inside agent um, who Ethan's reporting to, and they make one so likable, and they make Lawrence Fishburne biggest jerk. Like he's just constantly like poo pooing everything. Hell yeah, I, I hate it. It's so annoying to me. It's so good. It's like someone shit in his coffee, and he's just like hasn't forgotten it. Yeah, this guy has no joy in his life whatsoever. And maybe that was the point, but it was really obvious to me at the beginning. Like, they're trying to set him up as being this mole. And I never bought it for one second. He set up too much to be the mole, right? That he just couldn't be it. Oh, I didn't buy it for a second. I, I, I guess it didn't even occur to me that they were setting him up. I thought they just were like, fuck it. This guy's just a giant asshole. And I was like, fuck yeah, he is. Like, are you kidding me? Imagine him just yelling at Tom Cruise every movie. It'd be electric. Oh, I loved him. They're just pumped they got Lawrence Fishburne. Like, I really think they just reached out to him, and he said yes, and like, holy shit, wait, actually? You'll be in our movie? Oh, holy fuck. Just give him some fucking dialogue. Like, like, just give this guy some screen time. Like, I think, fuck, honestly, maybe he'd even have screen time. Maybe he just walked on set and just started, like, shitting on everything, and they're like, is the camera rolling, or are we rolling? All right, okay, well, let's, let's record this. Like, I just think, I don't know, man. I just think he was there to have did, fucking did fun. Did he know he was acting? Did he just, like, walk on set and they told him what was going on? He's like, are you serious right now? Those scenes are the boring scenes, right? Like, every scene with Alec Baldwin in the newer movies, like, those are the scenes they need to fill in because it's setting up the story, but, like, no one cares. Like, it's, it's the boring stuff. So, like, they're setting up stuff with Lawrence, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, and he's just hitting it out of the fuck. It's some of the most exciting parts of the movie. Oh, it's so good. Uh, <laughs> honestly? Uh, I would bump all these movies like half a star if he was in every single one. Like maybe that's why I'm so high on this movie. He was in like two fucking scenes and I was pumped, man. I love that guy. He should be in more films, honestly. If we had Fishburne in more movies, uh, the world would be in a better place. Uh, he he just makes everything better. But I guess that's just me. I can tell that you're very like the characters make the movie for you. Of course, um, yeah. And I can see that. Um, I like Michelle Monaghan in this. I think. The storyline between her and Ethan is good because it's in contrast to everything that I hated about Mission Impossible 2. And watching these back to back, I really saw it because in Mission Impossible 2, I hated the way that they made Ethan this this playboy. You know, he's seducing this thief to get on his team. And I, I hated every minute of that. So to see him like settle down and I think the, 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 the chemistry between him and Michelle Monaghan is really great. I love the way that um, when she's about to, you know, be taken, he's like rushing to save her. And I think you're right. If we didn't know because of the the flash forward at the beginning, I think that whole hospital scene would be so much better. I love 
when he's rushing into the hospital and he bumps into the stretcher that she's on as she's being taken out. But you're right. We know she's taken, right? So it kind of cuts, undercuts that. It would have been one of the best scenes of the whole movie and it just falls so flat. It's, it's one of the worst scenes. It's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it could have oh. been really good. I love the finale of this with the two of them when uh, Ethan is like, okay, listen, this is a gun. This is how you load it. This is how you shoot. Now I'm going to electrocute myself. You're going to have to bring me back to life. And she just like takes it in stride. I love that scene. You know, he's laying on the floor, like pretty well dead. She, you know, reaches around the corner, shoots the bad guy, has to like resuscitate him. I love that whole action sequence. It's so fast paced. It's, it's very fun. Um, and it's set up with that tension of the, the explosive device from the very beginning of the movie with Carrie Russell, who is also great in this film. So there's, there's a lot to love in this film. I think the criticism for this film and why it's kind of looked at on a lower level is just because it doesn't have the huge set-piece stunts that, that are in the rest of the franchise. Um, I think the, the biggest one is the, the fulcrum swing between the two towers and it kind of gets to like get into a, a tower to, to steal the rabbit's foot. And it's a little underwhelming, right? It doesn't uh, live up to even really the, the big scenes from the first two with the cliff um, climbing and the, the wire hang, right? Yeah, yeah, this is really the only movie that doesn't, yeah. This is definitely the, like, the only film that doesn't have like an iconic action sequence that everyone remembers. They did end this franchise for quite a bit after this movie it's kind of like the perfect ending to the franchise. And now that they keep bringing this franchise forward now, uh, which, uh, you know, um, brings up a lot of issues that I have with ghost protocols, a spoiler, but um, you like, it has to try and explain to us why this franchise didn't need to end at three. And honestly, it probably should have, right? Like the ending is actually so perfect where like, they kind of run off together and it has like that, cheesy rom-com freeze frame at the end with everybody like celebrating the background and the two of them walking out like i got fucking pumped at the end i was like fuck yeah they fucking did it they fell in love and everything's over and we're good to go uh and maybe that's what like the rest of the franchise is trying to explain to me why that isn't the case and why they needed to continue and like honestly like i don't know if they did like it's such a perfect ending like if you told me like honestly this is kind of like the perfect trilogy even though Number two is kind of garbage, and three has a lot of issues. It is kind of just like a really nice wrap up of Tom Cruise being like this ladies' man who's this young buck who's very egotistical at the beginning of the franchise and at the end of the franchise of this trilogy, obviously, and not the entire franchise, but at the end of this trilogy, it kind of ends with, like you said, she's the one that saves him, and he's the one that kind of comes to terms that he just wants to be in love with this woman. This film is a kind of the best love story of the franchise, and it ends on such like a happy note, which you never really get for the rest of these movies. And I just thought, you know, this was a good movie. I, I like the third one. Uh, you know, that's all I gotta say. I, I thought it was full on a good. On a fun note, very cute. I would never buy that this franchise is going to end though, because I never think that Tom Cruise is going to retire. So I would never buy that Ethan just retired. Yeah, that's right? true. Yeah, that's uh, true. <laughs> funny moment in this film between the two of them. Um, she uh, is giving the idea um, that he like might be sneaking away on business trips. She's starting to suspect something secretive is going on. They're at like the top of the hospital, and she's just like, "Just be honest with me. Tell me what are you hiding?" And Ethan looks at her and is just like, "You trust me." And then it shows them getting married. 
like in the chapel of the hospital. No woman ever would confront her husband being like, be honest, are these business trips to go see your mistress? And he's like, I can't tell you, but trust me. And then immediately marries him in the chapel. Hilarious. Oh, if you're Tom Cruise, you you can do it. And, you know, me and you, the average Joes, I don't think so, Isaac. But, like, are you kidding me? Uh, Tom Cruise, of course he can. He can get away with it. That's his greatest stunt right there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You said Mission Impossible 3 doesn't have the biggest stunt, but you're wrong. I like when, at the, the end, he's the device is activated in his head. And so he's, like, in all this pain, right? He puts his hands, like, on his temples. But he's also having to fight, so he starts throwing his elbows while they're still on his head because he's screaming in anguish. I thought that was pretty, uh, pretty hilarious. And also, um, this is the introduction to Simon Pegg. And I think he, he plays a pretty good little quick cameo. I've kept track of some of the, the lines of dialogue uh, from each of these movies that were like my favorite or, or my least favorite because there's some... There's some really funny lines kind of throughout this franchise, and I'll, I'll bring them up as we go through. I think this one has one of the worst lines of dialogue, which is they bring in Luther after Carrie Washington's character has died, and he's like, Oh, Ethan, you're really broken up about this. I, were, I hope you weren't involved. And he's like, I looked at her like my sister, and he's like, Luther says to Ethan, yeah, but would you sleep with your sister? It's so cringy. It's, I think, probably one of the worst lines of dialogue in the whole franchise. And I think that line alone almost brings the whole movie down half the star. I, I think it wasn't even part of the script. I think he actually was just looking at Tom Cruise, and he's like, you're a weird fucking guy in real life. Like, would you sleep with your sister? Like, I think it was just a genuine question. <laughs> you didn't realize uh, they were filming, was, yeah. <laughs> this was 2006, and... It was a bad couple years after this for Tom. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was just a genuine question. They didn't realize they were filming. All right, uh, we can move on to number four here, uh, right down the line here. And this time, I'm the one that's kind of in agreement here with its position. Uh, we have uh, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I have this one at number four, and you have it at number three. We're kind of on the same okay. page here. You know, uh, we're both in agreement that uh, it's kind of in the middle of the road here. Uh, Rogue Nation, what were your thoughts? I think uh, Rogue Nation for me is, it's a, it's a really great movie. Um, have it at number three. I really struggled between putting it at three or number four. There's a lot to love in this film. Um, and I think it starts with Rebecca Ferguson. She's incredible. I love um, the foil that she plays to, to Ethan. They're kind of setting Ethan up as like this kind of emotional guy, you know, really cares about uh, his team. He can't really ever cause harm to someone. It really starts building in the Christopher McQuarrie films. And Rebecca Ferguson is great. She has a great introduction. She's fantastic in a number of the set pieces, uh, mainly the opera house scene. I think she's one of the best characters to, to bring into the franchise. Up until this point, there was a criticism. Basically, the female characters always kind of being a revolving door while the male characters are, are sticking around, right? Luther, he's always there, but, you know, Paula Patton from, from Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol, she's just gone for no reason. So they bring in Rebecca Ferguson to be, like, someone that can stick around, and I think she absolutely crushes 
this might be a, a, a me problem, but I get her and uh, the actress that plays Julia mixed up like every scene. Like every time I see one of them, I go, so is that the one that he married or is that the badass girl? Like, I, I don't know what it is with my brain, but like when it comes to like Fallout and Dead Reckoning and this movie, Every now and then, I'm just like, is that Julia? Like, 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 is this the woman that he married? Like, I, I don't know what it was. I kept getting it mixed up. But, um, you know, aside from that being my problem, because, you know, I don't think anyone else is having that issue. Uh, she's great. And like you said, the, uh, the theater scene is why this is at four. I was between this at four or five. Yeah, it was between this and another movie uh, with being fourth or fifth best for me. And... That theater sequence is one of the best sequences of the entire franchise. Like, I love that. It's so layered. It's so badass. They all have, like, it's also, like, almost, you know, hints of, like, Mission Impossible 3 and 1, where, like, it's kind of cheesy. Like, it's kind of campy, where, like, they're all shooting out of, like, musical instrument-shaped guns, and they, like, have a script of the musical chords and when they get to the exact moment of the chord they're supposed to strike like it's really really goofy it's really really funny yet it's badass like it's really exciting like it's just a super fun action sequence because three of them are all aiming their guns at one person tom cruise steps in and stops one of them but he realizes that he can't shoot both of them at the same time so he's gonna like shoot him like shoot the targets like on the shoulder so he falls and can avoid actually getting shot which obviously we see him do the strategy and like fall out in other movies that's just tom cruise's strategy for some reason is to shoot the good guy in a non-deadly position so that he can save them it's just his go-to which, stunt yeah which is a good stunt honestly i love it did he shoot him in the arm or the shoulder uh yeah yeah yeah. one of the two like it's yeah. still pretty dangerous to oh shoot someone you yeah know. Yeah, that dude's not using that arm, yeah. Heart, right? Yeah, yeah, he just fucked their arm up for good. Like, he could have shot their ear or something. Like, I don't know. Like, he could have grazed him. But no, he straight up shot the dude's arm or something. Like, he wasn't fucking around. <laughs> but like, that was so good, because then as soon as he shoots him, she realizes it's him. But then the other guy in the booth thinks it's her. And, like, it's just a really intense scene. It's so much fun. Honestly, biggest highlight, easily. Uh, I would say the highlight should have been him doing that uh, airplane stunt that I've seen countless times before watching this movie for the first time yesterday. And that should have been the highlight, but this is kind of where we uh, get a little bit of a debate here, Isaac. Uh, Simon Pegg was like unbearable in that entire scene. And Simon Pegg in this movie and another one, he's comedy relief, but he's comedy relief because he's like inept. Like the joke is like he's really bad at his job. And I'm just like, I, does Tom Cruise still have this guy working for him? Like, I feel like he's, like, holding them back. Like, those two are so fucking good. And that guy can, like, hack into anything, and he, like, knows everything. Like, Tom Cruise is the badass. Ray's is, like, the fucking, you know, uh, gadget guy that can control everything and see all. He's kind of, like, the entity before the entity even exists in this franchise. Like, he's great. And then, like, Simon Pegg is kind of like the, the bubbling Charlie Chaplin just running around, slipping on the banana kind of thing. Like, he doesn't do fucking shit in some of these movies. And he's gotten way better in Fallout and Dead Reckoning. Like, he still makes, you know, little quirky jokes. And he's, like, kind of inept at some moments. But you still kind of see his purpose. And he's still, like, really, really good in those two movies. Like, I feel like they finally found their groove with him. And they still haven't quite found it in Rogue Nation. He's kind of like, oh, I don't know how to open a door. Uh-oh, I opened the wrong door. My bad. Goofy me. Like, you know, it's this intense scene. It keeps cutting back to him kind of like, 
Wait, oh, sorry, I misunderstood Tom Cruise. You wanted me to open the door now? Uh, but uh, are you on, are you in the plane? Oh, you're on the plane. Wait, what do you mean you're on the plane? Oh, you're on the plane. Like, I was like, shut Like, what are you doing? Like, dude, he's literally, like, about to fucking die. Like, could you, like, maybe stop trying to make a quick joke right now? Like, let's open the fucking door. Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> that's kind of him with most of this movie. And honestly, I think that's why this movie and, uh, you know, I guess it's obvious now, Ghost Protocol. That I don't love these two movies. And it's mostly because of Simon Pei. Like, I just feel like he's kind of playing like the like the minion character or the Olaf of Frozen. Like, he's just like the goofy character. And like in a franchise such as Mission Impossible, like, why is he here? Like, like, is, like what's that, what, what what's he serving? Uh, you know, uh, that's just me though. I love Simon. <laughs> and, I, and maybe it's because like I mean, uh, I think Hot Rod is maybe my favorite comedy of all time. Shaun of the Dead is fantastic as well. I, I just I love him and everything that he does. I think that if anyone else was in his role, it could be cringy. I love Simon. He can make as many mistakes as he wants. Like, oh Simon, I can't believe you did it again. You got me, Simon. Yeah, he's he's wonderful. I love him. There's a character in the two movies we're talking about, including this one, who I think is annoying, and I think it's Jeremy Renner. I don't. I <laughs> love Simon. Pegg. I can't stand Jeremy Renner. He's so annoying and i'm realizing now he's kind of in that lawrence fishburne kind of role where he's just always super cynical he never thinks anything's gonna work out he's super annoyed at every plan they come up with and so that drives me nuts i love simon i, I think he has uh, so much to do in this film particularly at the beginning where um, ethan is you know on the run no one can find him and um, they're calling simon into like weekly polygraph tests I will say, my least favorite shot of the whole film, he, like, takes his gun out. He's called into uh, a meeting. He takes his gun out and sticks it on the phone. We get this close-up shot of his gun, like, molding on the phone. Disgusting. Like, my least favorite shot of the entire franchise. Wow. Um, but I love it. He's, like, gets the tickets to the opera, and he shows up, and he gets, like, he's there, and he gets, like, the envelope. He's just like, oh. And I thought I was really, really going to get an opportunity to go to the opera. Like, I think he's really funny. Use him to kind of break up the, the real, like, intense uh, scenes, which is good because this film, it's not really... The franchise as a whole shouldn't take itself too seriously. And I think Simon Pegg uh, saves it from that. Um, and so it's really funny that we disagree on that. Yeah, it is interesting because I think the comedy style of the first three films where it's more like campy 2000s, like, you know, just the way the dialogue is written and the way the film is presented, it's more like a 2000s style, very like flashy and over the top. That kind of comedy works better for me than these last four movies where it's more just modern day blockbuster. The only comedy is just in like really dumb character lines right like oh this guy's so dumb that's hilarious like that's kind of the comedy with simon pegg's character and i agree with you uh when i say simon pegg sucks i mean his character in this franchise because like hot fuzz shot of the dead i i love simon pegg we disagree strongly on his character but we do agree on one character and that's jeremy renner because that's my other issue with these two oh, movies yeah <laughs> that's why i have them at four oh. and five my issue with uh ghost protocol and rogue nation is simon pegg and even more so Jeremy Renner. I, I just think Jeremy Renner is such like a dull character. He's very vanilla in this franchise and he's just not exciting. 
like you said, I guess he's like the Lawrence Fishburne. Uh, maybe Alec Baldwin's more similar to that role. But either way, he's like the most, he's, he's the least exciting of those characters. He's, he's just so he's there. He's just complaining all the time. He's just very annoying. Yeah, he's kind of just a negative Nelly. And more so in Ghost Protocol, because he's way more important in Ghost Protocol. Like, in that movie, like, everything Tom Cruise does, he's like, really? Like, are you sure that's a good idea? And I'm like, just calm down, Jeremy Renner. Like, when they told him to jump into that vault, I guess I'm getting ahead with another movie here. But And he's like, are you sure I should be doing that? Like, are you in yet? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I should do it. And I was like, get out of here, man. Like, like if you don't want to be in this movie, get, like, I don't want you in it either. Like, I don't know what to tell you, man. Like, Jeremy Renner is the guy that kind of looks like he's just there to get a nice check, right? Like, no one in Dead Reckoning kind of gave me that vibe, but Jeremy Renner kind of does. Like, is, is he having a good time in this movie? Like, is he having a good time? Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he's, he's, he's not the best in these two movies, but, you know, uh, what are you so, going to do? Uh, apparently, he was supposed to be in Fallout as well. He had to shoot scenes for Avengers Infinity War, and so because of the conflict, they're like, nah, sorry, we can't accommodate you. I don't know if that was like, you know, the studio really was like, oh no, you have to shoot for minutes of film with Avengers Infinity War. I guess we just can't make it happen. Like, I'm so glad he didn't get to on the franchise. Because they had written his character into that kind of box, I don't know how they could have redeemed him after two movies of just being this unbearable nitwit. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Yeah, and honestly, I was convinced he was dying in this movie, Rogue Nation, because obviously I saw Fallout with you a year before, and I was like, oh, he's not in that, so he's, he's going to die in this movie. And I was actually kind of looking forward to that scene, and he never did. Yeah, could you imagine if he carried this franchise? Oh my god, that would have that, that been brutal. I, uh, I I would have checked out by then. If, if they announced uh, Dead Reckoning Part 2, Jeremy Renner's going to like take the mantle at the end, like, uh, I'm out. <laughs> you know, fuck that. I don't think there's... I mean, there is a 100% chance he could be back in, in Dead Reckoning Part 2. Oh, he'll be back, um, yeah. But it probably, it'll be like for four minutes or five minutes or something, right? unless it's a three-hour movie. Yeah. You know, it could be a three-hour movie, so... I think with Rogue Nation, I think the first half of this movie some of the best of the franchise and if it i think it's the second half where it loses a bit of steam for me there are some people who rate this i was going through like some other people's rankings online of, of the franchise um prior to dead reckoning coming out just to see you know i didn't want my my takes to be too crazy some people rate this as the highest of the franchise and in the first half of the movie i can see why you got that incredible cold open with the plane right? Which is just classic Tom Cruise is a madman, right? Filmed it like eight times um, to get the right shot. Fantastic. I think you're saying it took him eight times just until Simon Pegg knew how to open the door. <laughs> leave, my, leave my boy alone. <laughs> you're pushing it too far. Um, I, I think the record shop is fantastic. Awesome. The, it's so good. Um, the flipping of the trope of, of getting the message. I think just having the message on a vinyl that you play in a recording room is cool enough on its own. But then it being like, oh, by the way, we know that you're uh, um, Ethan Hunt now because you've accepted the message. And then uh, Solomon Lane, he's an okay villain. But I think in that scene, he's fantastic. You can see him kind of in the back of the record shop when you first come in, um, which I noticed on a rewatch, which I think is cool way that uh you know he pops the the girl and they have like this kind of like 
really like endearing moment where the girl, the girl who's running the, the shop, she's like clearly like a new agent. And they kind of elaborated it on this um, in Dead Reckoning of like the people that deliver messages. This is like the first job that you get when you're in the IMF. So yet she has like this moment where it's like, it's an honor to meet you, sir. Like, and, and Tom Cruise like just smiles at her. Just for her to be popped in the back of the head while Ethan watches. Oh man, like what a gut punch. So well done. Theater scene, incredible. And then I think from that point onwards, it kind of goes downhill a little bit. Um, it's still really good. But I think from that point on, we start talking about some like missed opportunities and some anticlimactic stuff. But the first half of this movie is gold. It's perfect. Well, like I told you, I saw half the movie and then me and you ran out to go watch the new one because we got early tickets. And then I watched the second half the next morning. And it did feel a lot like night and day. Like I was on a high when I saw that first half of the movie. I thought this might be like up there. Like this is this is really, really good. Like this could like this was a really good movie. And then the second half does, you know, dip a little bit. It's still it's still a good time, but I agree with you. Like that first half is really strong. Like really, really good stuff. Coming in number three here, the third best film according to us for Mission Impossible. We have uh, one of Isaac's favorites, and that is Ghost Protocol. So Isaac has this at number two. I have this at number five. So this is definitely the biggest divide for us, but. I don't think it's going to be too much of a debate. I kind of already went over most of my issues being Simon Pegg and Jeremy Renner. But like for me, uh, this was kind of this and Rogue Nation were literally neck and neck for me on which one I liked more, except I gave Rogue the uh, the bump with the theater scene alone because I just thought that was incredible. Uh, this movie, pretty good stuff. I thought the climbing up the tower, an incredible action set piece, really, really fun. I also loved when they did the exchange and they like split up the rooms between the two different parties and they like try to intersect both like that's a really fun and gripping scene even though the more i think about it i don't don't really know if that was like the best strategy i don't really know what they were trying to get out of doing you know they could they've just bugged the room and like listened in on the exchange if they were just trying to play both sides i don't know what exactly they were doing but you know um (laughs) it doesn't really fucking matter if it made sense or not because it was a pretty cool fucking scene and honestly that's kind of the whole movie like just some cool set pieces I, I can see why this is considered one of the best. Like, this I saw as, like, a lot of people's favorites. Uh, and I think it's just because there's so many iconic, incredible action set pieces that people can point to. Uh, just as a whole, uh, right in the middle of the pack for me. I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, this is... Um, I think it gets points as well for really establishing what Mission Impossible would be from this point onwards in the franchise. Like, I think um, you, were, you were bringing parallels to, to Mission Impossible 2. Um, I think this is where they perfected the formula, and it's kind of remained unchanged from this point onwards. I think this one has the most memorable crews will have to go to space, right? To to beat the Burj Khalifa and how iconic it is. And I don't even know if he could do that. Like, it's just, it will always be remembered as this crazy, um, groundbreaking stunt. And it's always been this race to try and top it from there. But the cinematography around that stunt the way that the camera goes over his head when he's standing on the ledge looking out and like kind of goes over his head to give that view down and knowing that it's practical it's incredible it you know your heart's pounding it's um it's a master class intention they set up all of these things that could go wrong they're taking kind of like those elements from the high scene of the first movie and using those like 
gripping the seat while you're watching it. And it just, this movie just goes and never really lets up. Because it's the most iconic, it scores extra points um, and, and pushes it up higher on the list for me because it, because it really perfected the formula. And from there, it's, it's always been trying to top itself, right? So you got to get an extra point. Yeah, and honestly, uh, I'll give credit for doing one thing. My wife hates Tom Cruise, and she is not a big Mission Impossible fan. But she walked in on this movie, and she just sat down and watched like 30 minutes of it and went, hold on a second, is it just me or is this a really good movie? And I was kind of like, it's just you, this, this isn't that great. And she was like, really? Like, she, she really liked it. Like, she was really into it. So... People see something that I don't really see. Like, a Andrew was, uh, you know, she was hook, line, sinker for some of this movie. She actually really liked it. You know, I already mentioned Jeremy Renner and Simon Pegg. I, I think uh, this is Simon Pegg's worst. Uh, Jeremy Renner is the most important in this movie of the two that he's in. And so, by default, this is his worst. Like, and I just think he's such a buzzkill this whole movie. And also, is this a hot take? I feel like people like her, but like, I, I wasn't a big Agent Carter fan. Uh, she was a good actress but like her character i don't know my issue with this movie is as a whole i don't really like tom cruise's team in this movie like you know like all the people around him i'm kind of like fuck they're either really annoying or really boring or uh really frustrating to watch like i, I just didn't really like the crew that he was with in this movie and so i feel like that sunk it down for me and my biggest issue is the whole storyline with Julia, obviously, because and this is why it's, it's no fault of this movie. It has to try and summarize why this film has to continue with the franchise when it, you know, in my opinion, I kind of think, uh, you know, Mission Impossible 3 ended pretty wonderfully with the two of them in love. And now we have this whole she's dead and Jeremy Reiner's taking the blame for it. And he's like a brooding sad boy the entire movie. Cause he has that, this, this secret that's inside him that he can't tell Tom Cruise. And so this whole movie's this whole like downer of a, Oh my God, she's dead. And it's because of me. And then at the end of the movie, he like confesses to Tom Cruise about it. And Tom Cruise is like, Oh, it's all good, homie. She's fine. She's actually over there. Look, she's, <laughs> she's chilling. And I was like, this is like the reveal, like what a fucking, like, I kind of wish she just died. And like Jeremy Renner, like felt like a bum, like felt bummed out about it the whole time. Like you're telling me I'm just watching this whole movie and he's like all sad and mopey for no fucking reason. Like this whole movie is like, man, I'm so sad because I killed Tom Cruise's wife. And the whole time Tom Cruise could have just like mentioned it slightly to his friends because they all knew about Jeremy Renner doing it as well. But he didn't tell anyone except for Jeremy Renner. I don't know. And see, if she stayed dead, all right, like if Jeremy Renner did have a hand in her dying and now there's stakes as to why he doesn't like the bad guy, right? Now there's some stakes here because they killed his wife. And now we, you know, we got some meat on this bone here. But now that we know that she's alive and Tom Cruise knows that she's alive the entire time, the Agent Carter stuff just feels gross. And I, I, I guess I don't know the time frame of this. Like how long ago have they been separated because he's hiding her identity like how long has this been going on it feels like it's only been like i don't know it feels kind of recent at least in my perspective it feels like he's new to the game like maybe a few years after uh you know keeping her undercover and he's like kissing agent carter while doing out of the goodness of his heart protecting his wife uh, his wife's alive and he's protecting her like she's undercover because he doesn't want her to die because he loves her so much but he has no problem kissing agent carter in this movie like i 
hey Tom Cruise, all right, pick your fucking battle. Like, are are you moving on to someone else or are you protecting your wife here? Because you know, if I'm protecting my wife, I don't think I'm going to be started uh, smooching lips with an agent. Like, you know, in a scene later. The ending of the movie is a twist of, oh, he's doing this all to protect his wife. She's undercover. She's hiding. He's such a good guy. Is he? I don't know. Like, like is, is he? <laughs> so you're referring to, like, he kisses Paula, or Agent Carter, yeah, Paula Patton, to, like, get the billionaire whose satellite they need to hack into jealous so that way they'll go off into a private place together. I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah. Um, I... I... <laughs> I, I don't actually have any issues with that other than I think the whole we need to seduce this guy and we need to do it in like the next 20 minutes or the whole movie falls apart. I don't like generally like those types of plot lines. Um, but I don't have any issues with the, the, the Tom, uh, sorry, Ethan Hunt and his wife kind of storyline because as we find out in Fallout, like they've separated. Like, He's not just, like, you know, keeping it uh, on the low-profile protector, but, like, they've actually separated. She'll eventually go on and remarry. Like, they've decided that they can't be together because too dangerous for her and for him to even see her. So they've actually separated. So that, it didn't, like, create, like, huge problems with me. I do think his wife's disappearance is way overcome. Their characters are like theorizing about it. You get lots of people like telling Tom Cruise, like, "Oh, I'm really sorry to hear about your wife." Some people think that she's just left him. Some people think that she's dead. I think that's all that you needed. And then at the end of the film, he sees her across the, like the exact same way, and we just realize, like, "Oh no, they've just separated to keep her safe because he didn't want to retire." Right? I think that would have been fine. But the whole Jeremy Renner, he was there, and it's his fault that she died, and he's like, always, like, moping. And, of course, Tom can't say anything about it, so he just, like, stares blankly at him every time he brings something up and then just, like, walks away. It's kind of funny because, you know, he's, a, he's an annoying character. I like to see him get annoyed like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a little bit too much. Um, I do like the storyline. I like how it comes back in Fallout. Yeah, I didn't like the Julia storyline in this movie, but... You know, it wasn't the focal storyline, so it's okay. It's a good movie. I, I do like it. It's great action set pieces. Kind of like Dead Reckoning Part 1, actually, where, like, I don't necessarily like the story, uh, but it's just a fun time, honestly. Like, it, it, this, this one's a blast. Uh, I get why people really like it. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's another good addition to the uh, Mission Impossible. And like you said, uh, this, this is, like, the first modern Mission Impossible movie, so it really, it really sets the groundwork up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it definitely kicked the franchise like into a, a whole new gear. I love the whole prison escape at the beginning. I think it's fantastic. Um, I love the um, the reference to the, the Great Escape. We got uh, Ethan in the room, except instead of a baseball throwing him to himself off the wall, he's like throwing a rock and like bouncing it off like three walls and back to himself. The effortless swing over the railing, the way that you know is like signaling to Simon Pegg to open the doors. The coolest uh, that Ethan Hunt has looked in the franchises during this uh, prison escape. And again, Simon Pegg, but we've covered that. Um, so <laughs> I, I love that scene. Um, I love the Kremlin heist. Uh, again, two back-to-back -back scenes that are really great. In this scene, Tom isn't wearing a mask. He's just wearing like a fake mustache to impersonate this general, because I guess they just look alike already. Uh, pretty hilarious. 
And then afterwards, we get a great scene, Tom running, does a ton of running in this movie as well, including Sandstorm later. But he's running, he's got the, the jacket, that's the military jacket on the outside, and like the Bruce Springsteen like leather jacket on the inside. And then I love how he wakes up in the hospital and like the Russian detective is like standing there with his jacket like, oh, it was you, American. Oh, it's, I love it. It's so corny. Um, the way that uh, he goes out on the balcony and the, I love the, the, the Russian like detective. I think he plays his role perfectly. The way he like uh, steps out the window, just lights a cigarette like, where are you going to go now? So that's kind of why I've rated this movie so highly. I think it's so much fun. It just goes from piece to piece to piece. The only set piece that I think is a little underwhelming is like the party scene at the end. The garage fight in, in the car garage is it's okay. Um, I do love how um, he drives the car off, crashes at the bottom, gets out, and like hits the goes to defuse the bomb, hits the button, and says "Mission accomplished." Like, pure cheese. It's, it's so uh, corny. I, I love it. So this movie is just a really fun time. So coming in at number two, the second best film according to us, uh, and the best film according to me, it is Mission Impossible. So I have this one at number one. Isaac has that number four. This is the first one to kick off the franchise. Isaac, why do you hate it? <laughs> Okay, so that sounds harsh. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, I think this movie's fantastic. Um, like I said, I think there's, there's four really good movies in this franchise, two good movies, and then there's one bad movie. This is in the really good category. I think it's fantastic. It, of course, sets the stage and, and creates everything, so you have to give it credit for that. But I think really, and I know why you're going to love this movie, it's the, it's the De Palma effect. This movie's directed so well and it's so um it's so unique it's not necessarily cliche it tries to do its own thing they they take some really gutsy calls in this one um there's great cinematography i can see why this would be perhaps favorite the reason why i have it a little bit low is that there's some things in this film that i think have aged really badly but we'll get to those uh later i'll let you gush about this movie a little bit too yeah, I've been uh, watching these films roughly the same time I've been binging Brian De Palma as well. So this is just like the perfect blend of the two things I've been watching. Brian De Palma doing Mission Impossible. And it's, yeah, it's just great. Uh, Brian De Palma, I love his style. And his style is it's just all over this movie. Like you can watch this film and you're like, oh yeah, like that's De Palma. Like just tension you have with some of these characters and the you know the split screen that he has in all of his movies, uh, which you see in quite a bit of this film, including one of the coolest shots of the elevator sequence with Tom Cruise on the other wall listening in. Like, there's just some really cool shots in this film. The cinematography is great. The set pieces are really really fun. Tom Cruise is really good in this. I love young Tom Cruise. Like, I I, I you know. I've been watching some other Tom Cruise movies and, you know, I, I got to watch You Good Men. Like, like a lot of these movies where Tom Cruise is like, you know, in the 80s and 90s, he's great. Like he's electric. Like he's got this personality that you don't really have in the 2000s and the modern day Mission Impossible films where he's kind of just like this young buck and he's new to being part of the uh, part of the I am. And I just think he's so much fun. And like De Palma 
gets away with stuff that uh, I don't know if it would work with another director. Like the first third of this movie being this team that just gets picked off one by one where you only have Tom Cruise left by the end of the 30 minute run uh, in that beginning sequence. It could not work for some people, right? Like, you know, killing off your whole crew. It's so gutsy. It's crazy. So they made some crazy decisions with this film. Um, I guess number one was at uh, Jim Phelps, right? Who's played by um, John Boyd. He, like the character of Jim Phelps, was the main character from the TV show, the 60s and 70s. They turned him into the villain. This is like, still blows my mind, but they actually invited all of the original cast from the TV show to come play the team in the beginning because they wanted to kill them all off. Of course, every actor was like, no way, like I'm not coming in so you can just kill me in the, the feature, right? Like, I love the way they open it up. Uh, Tom, or Ethan in this film, is not the experienced master spy. Like, he is, like, fighting for, for his life throughout the whole film. Like, he, he's got these crazy eyes. Um, he's, like, everything is, like, causing him to almost panic. He's totally out of his depth. And um, I love how they open up, and he's not even, like, the main character, right? They open up with... John Voight's character getting the, the film saying, here's your team. Ethan is mentioned last. They bring in um, Emilio, uh, Emilio Estevez, I think is his name, um, of Mighty Ducks fame, right? He was a big actor at the time. They put him in there so you would see him and be like, oh, he's going to be a key part of this film. And they kill him in, I think, is the most gruesome kill of the entire franchise in that elevator prongs come down and they like, you see, his, it still makes me cringe and look away. I've seen it like five, six times at this point. What a wicked way to like just to kill off these characters. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, like that's such a De Palma kill. Like, you know, the one thing, right, like De Palma is known for like three things. It is the camera cuts and the style of like, he loves split screen and he still put that in here. He loves sex. You know, De Palma is a horny guy and he's still got that in here. And De Palma loves brutal kills. And you still have that here. Like, his hands are all over this movie. That, the first 30 minutes are some of the best action footage I've seen, like, ever. Like, it was just, it's so gripping. Like, it's some of the best espionage, spy stuff. Like, them putting the mask on. And just the way that they're framing us as the point of view of Tom Cruise when he's wearing the mask when he's out on the ball. Like, there's just so many cool stuff in this movie, including the very first scene being the dupe to introduce the mask to the audience. Like, there's so many choices he makes very early <laughs> on that, like, my God, like, you're just thrown into this story so quickly. And, like, when he, they showed the team at the very beginning, I went, oh, wow. I even told my wife who watched this one with me, I was like, oh, shit. Like, during this franchise, I guess all of these people are going to eventually die because they're, none of these people are in Fallout, because I saw that last year, except for Tom Cruise. So these guys are all going to eventually die in this franchise. That's kind of crazy. And no, 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 Quentin. They're all going to die in the first 25 minutes. Like, I was <laughs> blown away. I was like, holy shit, wait, wait a second. None of these guys are actual staples to the franchise because it feels like it. It really feels like they're setting up the team here. And their vibe is great. Like, you know, it's funny that this, this is uh, right after... It was protocol because I was saying that team's the worst. Uh, but like, I think this is the best team. The team that's in the first twenty-five minutes of this movie. Like, holy fucking shit! I love this IM team. Like, holy fuck! These guys are all really fucking like. They, you kind of tell they got like chemistry together, and they're like cracking jokes at each other. Like, it really feels like 
it's a, this group of like young guys and girls that like don't really you know get along that well at times but they're on a fucking mission they're gonna fucking take care of it and it kind of was crazy to see them all slowly just get picked off one after the other like it was a crazy thrill for the first 30 minutes and this is not even the best part of the movie we still have the fucking scene where he's going down on the wire and that is it's the best scene of the entire franchise it still hasn't been topped for me like that bead of sweat i was like gripping the side of my couch like i was like holy fuck like it was so good and like when he like quickly zips back up and the guy's like in the room and you're waiting to see if he looks up like holy fuck it's so good it's so good i really really love this movie and, and you're right it probably has a lot to do with De Palma. Uh, my, my wife even we were watching another movie of De Palma's, and in the middle of the movie she just randomly goes Isaac would hate this guy. Like she, like <laughs> Isaac would hate De Palma, and I was like, ah, I don't know. You, you know, he likes Mission Impossible. De Palma did that, but yeah, she was convinced you, you would hate his directing style uh, because, like I said, he's he's a bit of a horny guy. But uh, you know, uh, in this it works. Honestly, he was kind of held back a bit uh, from the a lot of the horny stuff yeah, I read it's behind the scenes. It's actually not bad at all. This is uh, <laughs> this is most tame. We get the the scenes between him and. Um... Uh, what's her name? Emmanuel Biert uh, character. Um, Claire. A, a few scenes, especially at the beginning, and you can see that tension there. Yeah, I get that. Um, I will say, Jim Voigt and, uh, or sorry, John Voigt and Emmanuel Biert as a couple that are supposed to be married, uh, there's like 25 years between them, and it's not like, oh, well, they look like they could be 10 years apart. Like, they look 40 years apart. So the moment that they're introduced as a married couple, I'm just like, Oh, really? One of the things that ages early on a rewatch is that this, this, the scene of him getting shot through the glasses is so clearly him shooting himself. Um, but I wonder, did you catch that? Didn't catch on to me that he shot himself, uh, but I, I was very confident he wasn't going to die. Like, I, I didn't realize he was part of the uh, Mission Impossible television show. I, I did not know that. That is really cool. But... His character, the fact that they kept mentioning him like throughout the movie, I was like, oh, he's definitely coming back. Maybe subconsciously. Uh, I also knew because of Letterboxd, because uh, I checked the movie before I started watching, and I recognized John Voight was very high on the list of people in the movie, and I was like, there's no way he'd be that high if he was going to die. So maybe that spoiled it as well. But yeah, I knew he wasn't dead. I didn't know he shot himself. I thought maybe someone was wearing a mask of John yeah. Voight. When you when you rewatch it, you see like the shot, and you can so clearly tell like it's just this hand on a camera. And you're like, oh yeah, obviously. Um, but I think the best like mission acceptance method is in this film when he gets like the tape on the plane and it self destructs, and he lights the cigarette to cover up the smoke. So freaking cool. Um, he comes into the hotel. He's like doing the mission brief with the team, and they're all like you know, teasing him about how cushy his job is. They're like, oh, did you stay at the Four Seasons? He's like, no, no, guys. It was the Drake Hotel. And they're, like, all laughing. Like, he sounds like his job is, like, the best. He's got the cushiest job ever. Everyone's joking, and he's like, come on, guys, focus up. This mission is serious. Like, he's the only one taking it seriously. So there's, like, no way this guy could um, be the one that's, you know, going to betray the team, right? I love the scene where he's telling... Amelia Estes' character, like, on the elevator to be like, he's like, what's happening? What's happening? Talk to me. Cut the power. Meanwhile, he's the one causing the elevator to go up. Fantastic. I think he's, he's written so well that even though that's that shot, 
if you were to pause it or if you come back to it, it's like, oh, yeah, clearly no one actually killed him. But your brain just refuses to accept that because he's developed so well. And this film is just really well-crafted in its character design. One of my favorite moments in the movie is probably, like, a scene that any other director or just any other Mission Impossible movie, it would be a total dud. But it's when Tom Cruise is just on the laptop, just constantly doing research to try and figure out how to reach out to this one person. And so he's kind of just, like, strolling through the internet for, like, 20 hours straight trying to get this figured out in a hotel room. And then when the door knocks and it's Claire and he opens the door or the door opens up and it's her and he like looks at her and he's sleep deprived because he's just been on this laptop trying to figure out how to get out of the situation that he's in. And he pick and he thinks it's the bad guy and he freaks out and then he kind of wakes into reality and it's her. And then sure enough, at the end of the movie, she's the bad guy. And so that's literally like, not only is he being sleep deprived, it's just such a cool sequence that he thinks that it's someone else. But in reality, it is actually who he thinks it is. It is the person trying to kill him this whole time. So that's just such a cool sequence that they played really well. Do you think that the scenes with the internet are good? <laughs> Dude, I, I fucking, I mean, that was so fucking cool. I fucking loved how they, <laughs> man, honestly, Brian De Palma could like, film someone reading a newspaper and i'd be all fucking into it honestly the only dud of this entire movie is john voigt shooting his wife before tom cruise that is the only bad part of this entire movie and honestly it's so camp that i don't even mind it like it's so insane that he would shoot his wife first it's it's so idiotic that i low-key kind of like it but it, it's easily the only bad part of this whole movie the rest of the movie is like top quality Mission Impossible. It's so fucking good. I love this movie. Uh, Tom Cruise is at his peak. This is his best performance of the whole franchise. It's not better than like Top Gun Maverick performance, but like Mission Impossible standards, this is his best performance. Like he's so fucking good in this. Uh, I love it. Uh, a great movie. The internet makes me cringe so much because it's, it's, it's really funny because he knows like two things. He's like someone named Max and someone named Joe. So he goes onto his laptop and he searches Joe. Like, job. Like, yeah, you're going to definitely find that. And then he searches max.com. It's hilarious. It's so cringy. He eventually finds, he searches Job and gets, like, a, a Bible discussion chat room and sends an email to max at job314. Like, it's so cringy. Like, and I get that they're trying to predict what the internet would become. Of course, like, this is filmed in, like, 1995, like, very, like, beginning of the internet even being available, the beginning of email. So they're making some guesses here of how they think that things are going to work. And they just kind of get some things wrong. But I think it's, it's pretty funny. Um, I think that's one of the things that kind of brings the movie down. It's just that that hasn't aged well. Train action scene at the end is not my favorite. I get that they like brought in, you know, they built their own train. They brought in these fans. They're limited by the, like, you know, the the technology that was available at the time, but it's, it doesn't look great. Um, and um, I, I just think that also has a as well. Those are the two main reasons that I've uh, knocked it down a little bit lower on my list, and it's not the best of the franchise for me. I actually disagree completely with the train sequence because I actually thought it aged really, really well because it's mostly all practical or real. I like was watching the movie and I thought, holy shit, it actually looks like they're on a train and they're actually fighting. Is, is this legit? Like, is this his first stunt? 
And so I like was watching interviews and little YouTube clips of behind the scenes of the film and articles I was reading about it. And obviously, like you said, some of it was like they were just making up fans and building sets and you know some of it was like dummies and obviously you can see a lot of where the issue was but there are sequences where maybe it was just a train they built but they're literally on a train actually doing the sequences like like that's actually happening in the movie and like you don't see that anymore with like modern blockbusters like you know the fast and furious franchise like we brought up a few times in this uh they have sequences on trains and vehicles literally that's their bread and butter. They love driving on fucking vehicles. That's the you know uh, that's the where the fast and the fast and furious comes from. And it's all just CGI, right? Like like none of that's actually real, but they're actually on top of a fucking train fighting and the way the wind is just hitting them and like they look horrible on top of the train because they're actually getting hit with like fucking wind like no tomorrow and like I thought it looked pretty fucking intense. Like it, it felt the most real that you could get from an action sequence like this, especially in the 90s. Like, action sequences don't age well in modern times, and I thought it aged really well because it was so real. Sure, it was fans and they built themselves, but because it wasn't any horrible CGI except for the uh, helicopter blowing up at the end of the fight, uh, you know, that was horrible, but it was also so cheesy that I, I, I didn't mind it. But I thought the actual fighting on top of the train looked really real now in 2023 that I was shocked it looked so good considering this is, what, almost 30 years old? So I thought it, I thought it worked really well. Um, for, for me, at least. I, I, I liked it. I like the callback in, in Dead Reckoning, actually, to kind of go back and, and kind of refilm the train, uh, the fight on the train. I guess it's kind of a, a trope in action to do fights on trains, but I think Dead Reckoning did some of the best in photography for it. I think there's a little bit of suspension for uh, disbelief because the train is going so fast and the helicopter is like staying right behind it, perfectly stable. So I, and goes into the tunnel and I'm like, eh, this is a little bit much. Um, I, I hate the shot of when the helicopter explodes and it like throws Ethan back onto the train because that's just like, you know, it's a little bit too much. I think they jump the shark with that, that movement. And then the, the, the blade, you know, the train stops and the wreckage of the helicopter comes within inches of his throat. It's a cool, so cool. looking shot, but I don't know, it doesn't make sense to me. There's a line of dialogue that if it was said, could have made this the, by far the greatest action film of all time. Um, they have the gum, which, you know, call back to the beginning of the movie, Emilio Estevez gives him the gum. It's red on one side, green on the other. He says, red light, green light. Push them together, count to five, ask the lasagna, don't get any on you. Which is, was, up until the next movie we talked about, going through watching this, uh, all these films in a row, I was like, that's the best line in the entire franchise. Ask the lasagna, don't get any on you. And then Tom Cruise gets on the helicopter, he sticks the gun on the windshield, and he says, Red light, green light. No, what are you doing? It's Asta Lasagna. Like, I can't believe you messed that up. What a wasted opportunity. If he had said Asta Lasagna, best action film of all time. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that would have bumped it up for sure. <laughs> yeah. No, I really like this movie. Uh, this is one that I can see myself revisiting a lot i don't know if it's like top 10 action films of all time uh but it might be up there like i i think this is incredible i, I really like this one but you know i, I get the criticisms it's the director really um i think so <laughs> one thing we, we haven't mentioned yet was um 
and where I didn't even know to follow, but I could just tell this was a stylistic thing of his. There is the uh, the conversation in the aquarium restaurant with uh, Henry Zerny's character, and you get all these Dutch angles, and you get this slow like realization, great acting by Tom Cruise here as he's realizing like, oh wait, I've been framed. They think I did. This is a setup, right? And the conversation is shot with all of these shots, like where the camera is like, essentially in their lap. Fantastic. And then the shot of him diving out the window with the water coming in and running across the plaza is gorgeous. Um, and I was watching that in all those angles and the way it was being filmed. And I'm like, it seems like it'd be a De Palma thing, even though I think the only other film I've seen by De Palma was Carrie, like maybe 15 years ago. But I was watching, I was like, this seems like a De Palma. It is. It, it actually is a department thing. He does this a lot. Whenever information is revealed to the main character and they like kind of realize what the fuck's going on around them, uh, he loves the Dutch angles. They had this in Scarface. They had this in Body Double. Uh, De Palma is a big Dutch guy. And you know what? I am too, because I fucking love every single time he does it. <laughs> so obviously, Scarface is the best of all his efforts of doing this uh, shot. But uh, I thought it was really, really good here. I like got chills when he realized what was going on and he like reveals that everybody in that room was there the night that it happened. Like when he starts pointing at different people and saying where they're from, I was just sitting there like, fuck it. We're so in baby. This is so good. I was like on such a high that I like watched mission impossible Two the morning after I was like, let's go. Like I'm so fucking down for this franchise. And it was like such a complete opposite, you know, <laughs> view and experience. I was like, fuck Brian De Palma should have just done all these movies. You haven't even seen some of his other movies, uh, which they also have the Dutch angles for Carrie, I'm pretty sure. Um, but yeah, he uh, he has some tricks that he really likes to use, uh, and he's got these trademarks, and they work for a reason, you know? Uh, the split screen, did you, did you notice that in Mission Impossible? He did a lot of split screen action. I didn't uh, make note of it, no, I didn't. But uh, maybe something to watch out for. Yeah, especially uh, in the first 30 minutes when they're doing the the mission with the original team like you, you'll notice it there he does the split screen a lot honestly split screen looks really corny when other directors do it i don't know how i don't know what it is but uh in almost every single one of his movies he does all these split screen shots and they're, and they're some of the best shots in like all of his movies like he just really works well using the split screen it looks so fucking cool one of my favorite gadgets in that opening heist was the the fake perfume that they spray on the back of the target's head that way it glows in the sunglasses of the girl who's, like, keeping Overwatch so she doesn't, like, lose him in the crowd. Hilarious. So we can move on to number one here. Uh, the best film, according to us, and especially according to Isaac, we have Mission Impossible Fallout. Isaac has this at number one. I have this at number two. We discussed it last year, but here we are again, Isaac, waiting for the end of this podcast to discuss... A film we already discussed once before, Mission Impossible Fallout. Thank you for uh, giving me a couple tiebreakers on this list, so I appreciate that. I feel bad for you that uh, I've won a couple of the, the tiebreakers here, but um, for me, this is, this is the best. And there's one section in the very middle that I think is a little bit weaker, but otherwise, this is like the gold standard of um, just an action movie doesn't have to be this great, you know, Oscar-winning, perfectly scripted thing. It just has to have the action. This is a movie that says we're about our set pieces and we'll just get there and do it. 
until Top Gun Maverick came out, like I think this had the potential to be one of the best action films of all time. Aside from maybe Terminator 2. Like it's just so well crafted. The the visuals are so stunning. Final act of this film that's set in like Kashmir region of India, I think they're actually filming in like Norway. It's so beautiful and breathtaking. It's it's it keeps you like in this state of euphoria for like 25 minutes straight. It's incredible. I was going through the films of the franchise on my rewatch and I was thinking like, well, you know, this film is actually maybe scripted a little bit better. This film maybe has a little bit better plot. Then I watched Fallout and I was like, I just can't put anything above this, especially after that final act. I think everything works in this film other than one scene in a tunnel which i'm sure yeah i i actually really like this movie like it's it's a very clear one and two for me like everything after this uh they're good times but these two really stand out Uh, the original just being a really great de palma action film with some great stars some great twists some great direction but this film just being a great action movie like the action sequences are really really good in this and like I said, uh, my issues with the movies before this one being Jeremy Renner, who's not in this movie, and Simon Pegg, who I think is great in this movie. I, I feel like a lot of his lines landed well for me in this one. Bitching back and forth about who's the best, and Luther's just sitting back, just like, or, uh, you know, like they're just shooting the shit. And I feel like uh, Simon Pegg, I don't know if maybe I, at this point, I just kind of got used to his comedy or just his character after a few movies it maybe just worn down on me or what but when i watched this movie on the rewatch i laughed a lot at what he was saying like i thought he was like i i was in on simon Pegg by the time we got to mission impossible fallout i thought he was really funny i thought all of his team was really fun in this film especially superman himself uh henry cavill i thought he was great i really he was really good Uh, he he was uh, one of the best characters of the whole franchise like he was just electric in this film I thought his arc was fantastic. It made sense. And maybe it's because I was rewatching it, but I thought the heel turn is very foreshadowed in this film. Like, you kind of should have seen it coming, even if you didn't. Like, it's not one of those twists that's just to throw us off. Like, oh, his wife was secretly undercover the entire time, like Ghost Protocol. Like, the Henry Cavill thing, you know. And it's satisfying when the reveal happens. It's really, really exciting. And just the sequences are great. Like, I can't get over the action sequence. We didn't even really talk about that much when we discussed this last year. We kind of touched on it briefly, but it was the biggest, you know, marketing push that they had for the movie, which was him jumping off the plane and landing on top of the building. And it was cool when I saw it the first time, but I got to tell you, when I rewatched it this week, it's like fucking incredible. Like, it's one of the coolest action sequences. The camera guy, like walking backwards and falling out of the plane before Tom Cruise actually jumps. When you watch the film, you'll always see that. Like you can so clearly tell that it's real. Like you literally see the camera fall, and it's it's not done in a way that could be like a drone or it could be constructed on a set. Like it's it's so well done, and it's real, and it's so long, and it's free fall, and this whole way down that they're falling. You got this camera like three feet away from them doing these stunts in the air, it's just unreal how they filmed it. Yeah, and it's all one shot, right? Um, I don't know if it's all one shot. 
they they added some lightning, which I mean, chill, Tom, right? Like, did you really need to add like a lightning store? So there's some added stuff in there. It's not entirely like practical, but like it's as real as it gets. And the first time I watched it, I kind of like walked away like, oh, okay. And now every time I see it, like every time I see it, it's it awesome. Yeah, it was gripping. When I watched it, it was I don't remember it being that amazing. Like fuck it just one shot this camera following him all the way down and like sometimes the camera's below him sometimes it's above them it's just so natural how it's moving around him the entire time and it's not like it's all these quick cuts of like oh now we get to see the above shot like you get to slowly see him you know float past the camera like as if he's actually on air it's one of the coolest action sequences of the entire franchise it's really really good uh and that's not even to like you know belittle the other action sequences in this movie because they're, they're, they're all great like i remember we we're talking about last year him driving through avoiding all the police and falling into that hole and like that that whole thing is so gripping it's so exciting and like you were telling me last year how like it oh like everything's always planned out with him and this time it looks like it's finally catching up with him but once again it was all planned out and like you're right when you after you watch the whole franchise like that sequence like it's way more exciting because you actually think oh shit did they catch him like is he fucked and no of course not it's tom cruise being tom cruise he right. he planned this out already like it's it's good stuff it's not it's obviously not even close this is far and above better action sequences better score i thought this score in this movie was way stronger than the other modern day mission impossible movies like everything about this film just seems like they stepped it up compared to the other ones like it's kind of crazy how good this movie is like it doesn't feel like it's even on the same caliber as some of these other ones like it's a really exciting blockbuster and i feel like we don't really get that often they put so much effort into things that other studios would so easily do the, the easy way like in that Paris chasing, he he drives on his motorcycle the opposite direction of traffic around like the it's the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, and so there's like this huge roundabout. You have all these cars coming the opposite way, and any other movie would would CGI that. This movie didn't, even though it's like a four or five second clip. They have thirty stunt drivers and cars out there, like hey guys, drive around the circle, don't hit Tom Cruise. Doesn't even have a helmet on, by the way absolute absurd dedication to the craft and it's where you see it in, in, in those kind of small details it's in the helicopter chase at the end when tom falls from the helicopter and like has to like catch on to the payload below you're like oh yeah that was done like on a on a rope in a gym like no he was actually dangling from the helicopter and and it orchestrated it to fall like just perfection of the craft and pure and utter dedication to to movies and what action movies should be about just can't help but just fall in love with what they're doing here it really feels like everyone just gave it their all in this film whether it be story-wise whether it just be the cinematography whether it just be the performances like it really felt like honestly like if they ended Mission Impossible franchise with this movie uh, would have been a pretty solid send-off. It, obviously, the movie doesn't end with, like, a, oh, happy ending, like, Mission Impossible 3, per se. But if they, like, ended the film with this movie, that would have been a pretty good high. <laughs> it would have been pretty, pretty good. And, hey, who knows? Dead Reckoning Part 2 might have a pretty good high, too. Uh, like, who am I to say? Universally, I think it's considered the best. Uh, at least it is on, uh, on our end. I don't have it at number one, but I agree 
for the franchise, this this is like the best of the franchise. It's just a really good movie. One of the things that I think is really fun about this movie is that the characters really get to ham it up a lot. Um, one of my favorite sequences is they're trying to get the passcode for the phone from the, the nuclear scientist who like created the bombs. They've you know knocked him out in a car crash and convinced him that the bombs have detonated. They've got these like a fake news report and they're just hamming it up. They're, Tom Cruise is uh, it really caught me as funny this time, but he's like playing the bad cop to Luther's good cop, and he's like trying to fight. He's literally like hold me back. And then Luther's holding back. He's like, give me five minutes with this guy. I'll get the code. And Luther's like, no, no, we need it. It's so funny. Honestly, all I can describe it as is just pure adrenaline, pure fun. And, and this is what I want my action movies to be about. Um, you don't need all this sappy drama. You don't need to, you know, make it so emotional. It doesn't have to have this huge, complicated story, which, you know, this film ironically does have absurdly intricate plot that I think I still learn something new about it or still like understand it a little bit better each time. I walk away with my just stunned after every time I watch this movie at just how incredible it is. Probably the problem with doing ranked podcasts because at the end we just get to the best movie and there's really nothing you can really say. It's really good. <laughs> like, like and everyone knows it, right? Like everyone's checked this movie out uh we've already talked about it last year it's just a good time uh honestly uh you know it hasn't aged well alec baldwin holding a gun it's it still feels really weird when i'm watching this scene <laughs> when i'm watching this scene and he like made a comment i'm trying to remember what the line was but he like made like an offhanded comment of like whoa watch out i got a gun and i was like whoa yeah you do <laughs> <laughs> uh well well honestly that line that that line aged pretty well actually that that was a pretty good line one thing though that i will give this movie props for it's that you have that iconic bathroom scene. And I don't even know that it really hit me until this time, but I realized that Henry Cavill and Tom Cruise both get it handed to them. Like, they both, this uh, character that they have, I don't even know his name. I feel like I should. He's playing, like, the fake John Lark. Um, he's just kind of, like, in this suit in the bathroom. He's a martial artist, and he hands it to him. Like, he's taken both of them out until Rebecca Ferguson comes in and pops them. And I was like, watching that, I was like, man, Vin Diesel would never, a film where they just get absolutely uh, hand, like beat up by this no-name character that no one even knows, right? I think that's what makes it so great, is then it gives stakes to the rest of the movie. You have just saw that these guys can actually get hurt. Like, they can actually lose this fight. Yeah, maybe that's why this film is so beloved by you know the two of us, and by everyone, really, is Tom Cruise and Henry Cavill together like is some of the most dynamic stuff we get from this franchise. Like Henry Cavill's fantastic and Tom Cruise is really really good in this as well. And by the time we get to the final fight between the two of them, like the stakes feel like it's at an all-time high because these two have such a rich history in just one film. The Henry Cavill's only in this movie, but because they kind of build on their dynamic and one's blaming the other and one's framing the other and like they really build to an all-time high here in this film that, like, when we get to that final fight, like, you kind of feel the stakes. And obviously, we all know Tom Cruise isn't dying in a Mission Impossible movie, but, like, you kind of think for a second, like, holy shit, like, Henry Cavill is, like, this guy's biggest threat ever. He's, like, the real boogeyman of this franchise, and he's only in this one movie. Like, they're really exciting together. Yeah, I uh, I really liked Henry Cavill. 
I think he aged really well in this film on a rewatch. I thought he was just incredible. If only Philip Seymour Hoffman wasn't in this franchise, uh, he would be my favorite villain, but uh, he'll, he'll take a comfortable second place for me. He's, he's really good. Angela Bassett works as like, you know, Henry Cavill's boss for a little bit. I think she could have been cut out, which pains me to say, because, you know, I love Angela Bassett. I think her character is a little bit excessive in this film, if I was to nitpick. She has a line where she says, you know, your guy's like a scalpel. I prefer a hammer. And that's exactly what the, the foil is, right? You have Tom Cruise, this like small, slender guy um, who, you know, very precise, does these like crazy acrobatic things. And then you have Henry Cavill, who's just this brute of a man. Um, it's a great dynamic. Yeah, the Angela Bassett character. I, uh, I wasn't a big fan of the whole, oh, yeah, I'm turning you all in. I don't trust none of y'all. And I was like, oh, like... <laughs> You know, this over, whole... Over yeah. FaceTime or something? Yeah, over FaceTime. Yeah, over FaceTime. Yeah, like, I was, like, really, like, they couldn't get her on set to do this. Like, this is this is the best we got. Yeah, that was, like, the only gripe I had. Like, that, that was a scene of, like, twist, 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 twist. Like, every, like you don't know what the fuck's going on. And then Angel Lassett's like, ah, fuck all of you guys. I don't trust any of y'all. I was like, ah, th- th- this is how we're ending the scene. Like, that was, like, the only gripe I might have with the whole movie. But as a whole, yeah, uh, pretty good stuff. Yeah, so that's everything for the Mission Impossible franchise. Uh, all seven movies, we have Dead Reckoning Part 2 coming eventually, so maybe we'll get on and discuss that movie sometime. But uh, anything else you want to say about this franchise as a whole, Isaac? I think that deserves a good ending, and it needs to end. I think eight movies will be enough. I think Tom can only do this for a couple more years. Yeah, well, honestly, uh, we didn't bring this up during the Dead Reckoning discussion, but, like, that's another thing. I'm I'm a little bummed that we already know the next one's literally part two, and, like, it's just going to be a continuation off of part one, because, like, that means I already know the next movie's just going to be another Entity storyline. Like, I don't really care about that whole storyline. So, like, honestly, like, I kind of hope we somehow have time to have, like, a Mission Impossible 9. Is that too much to ask for? Like, I, I you know, I kind of hope we get one more after this. I mean, is anything too much to ask of Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah, Tom Cruise will do this until he's dead. He's got like three or four more in him for sure. So, you know, I hope Dead Reckoning Part 2 isn't the last one. And if, if it is, I hope it's like really, really good. Like, I hope it really surprises me because uh, I'm not really liking the story of Dead Reckoning. And uh, that's going to be what the next movie is going to be. It's going to be the continuation of that story. So hopefully it's just a really good movie or hopefully we get a few more because like I, i'm yeah I, I want this franchise to end on a high right we could have had that with skyfall let's get another good one out here right like i'm pumped i'm ready to go to the theaters and see some tom cruise so hopefully we get an ending we all deserve question for you because you recently watched all of the james bond films i guess about like a year ago after doing this watch through did mission impossible take the throne it's better than James Bond. I'm trying to think if there's another franchise that I like that's about spies. I don't can't really think of another franchise. Jason, there's there's the Jason Bourne trilogy. I haven't seen those yet. But uh, if we're basing off of just this and James Bond, then yeah, I I would prefer this over James Bond, uh, mostly because I just think James Bond has a lot of lows. And and still, I think this film has the original Mission Impossible, which I would say is better than any James Bond movie. But James Bond has some good movies. Uh, like I, I like I like Goldfinger. I like uh, what was it? Skyfall. So 
Skyfall. Yes, well, Skyfall's really, really good. So there's definitely some James Bonds that yeah. I like, but yeah, uh, this really one. Like yeah. Casino Royale as well, which you know isn't your favorite. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not a huge Casino Royale guy, but it's good. You know, it's it's not bad. Oh, hot take. I think No Time to Die is uh, one of the better James Bond movies, but I know even the James Bond fans don't like that one. Great send off in that film, and that's the type of send off that they need to give Ethan Hunt. Like, I really hope that he just doesn't. You know, Tom gets too old and just walks away, or and it cuts like you know due to production issues or something. Like, I hope they give him a good sound. Well, yeah, that was the very first James Bond movie to have James Bond die. Spoiler to people that haven't seen No Time to Die from three years ago, from a franchise that we're not even podcasting <laughs> about. But I thought that was really powerful, especially coming from a guy that just binged like thirty James Bond movies. And the dude's just, like, untouchable and kind of douchey. And, like, I don't really love the James Bond character. But, man, when he sacrificed himself, like, I was, I was like, moved. Like, that was a crazy ending. And, yeah, if they did something like that for Ethan Hunt, like, I would feel that. Like, that would be incredible. Uh, I, I do think having a good send-off to a character is really important. And, you know, they can still do it. They can, you know, they still got time. Uh, Dead Reckoning Part 2. Let's go. So that's everything on our end, guys. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. Have a fantastic day.